Yeah, we got a episode disclaimer royale. Yeah, dub talk. We about to get down. Get down. 5k subs on the board right now. Gonna get this down. Strongly which situation dumb takes. Yeah, gotta get some SAO spoilers. Go watch season one now. Now we're in the other series. Need spoilers on the map. Our own worms are our own freaks. Take me to Uncried. We got some sword art to play. You can take me to the 22nd floor, but not Alfine. I'd really love to. Link start with you. We can do a sword art online dub talk episode, gamers. Please kill me. Got forgotten for some reason. And occasionally talk about anime dubs. I'm Jet, and I'm joined tonight by Patrick. Damien! It's all for you, Damien! <laughs> uh, Megan? Wait, I can't pet the dogs? This game sucks. <laughs> Man, this is worse than that time I got stuck in Genshin Impact. <laughs> uh, Steph? Hello, I am here for reasons unknown. I don't know. And Andrew. I'm gonna be honest, I did not come in here prepared with any SAO abridged quips, and I'm kicking myself for it. <laughs> just go to the TV Tropes page, we got this. You know what? I'm gonna do just that. I'm gonna fucking do it too. So you see, we're here tonight for a very special episode of Dub Talk, or Curse, depending on your point of view. Depends on who's watching and listening right now. <laughs> I just would like to preference this with uh, N1. Hey, buddy, I know you're probably going to watch this when you see the episode title. Remember the disclaimer at the beginning that says the views and opinions are for the individual <laughs> participants and do not reflect Dub Talk as a whole. Please also don't come down from Canada and kill me. <laughs> okay, uh, so you see, a few months ago on my birthday episode, I made a solemn vow that if Dub Talk reached 5k subscribers, I would personally host an episode of Sword Art Online since we did a fake out of that with the Dub Gale episode. Uh, we've reached 5k, and I'm nothing if not a bet in my word, so it's time to hop on board a suffering train, but hey, I get to drag these poor fools down with me. Yay, 5,000 subscribers! Wait, hold on. Why am I a part of this? Hold it. Why are you a part <laughs> of this? Why am I? Yeah, I've been wondering that myself. Well, I guess Jotaro needs at least two men like Kirito had. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. Remember, kids, Andrew is Leafia. <laughs> so, look, oh Megan, I know you're doing a bit, but I just would like to say that Eagle's full name is Andrew Gilbert Mills. What? What the fuck? I didn't even you're know not cool this. enough to be Agil. <laughs> Dude's got a is, bar is, is and a wife. Me? No, Jet's Agil. He's he's the coolest one of us all. Yeah, that's why, man. He is. We've done the research. It's <laughs> also true. Yeah, that's yeah, that's why. I will I will take being Klein. Andrew's not Sugu. Andrew's Silica. I'm silly. Steph gets to be Sugu. Oh, I'm Leafa. Okay. Yeah, you get to be Leafa. <laughs> Andrew's Silica. I'm Lizbeth. Uh, Patrick is Klein. As long as I get to get my pizza. Oh wait, shit. <laughs> you don't want that. <laughs> And the biggest casualty in Sword Art Online. <laughs> the biggest casualty. Rip Rest in piss, Klein's pizza. pizza. <laughs> Klein's absolute teriyaki stoner pizza. <laughs> Man, if I didn't have to work yesterday, this would have been hysterical to record on 420. Uh, <laughs> oh my god. Curry. 
I need to open this now, because Lord Almighty, I'm going to need ounce of these today. Anyways, hello, this is a very topical episode. <laughs> Tonight on a very special episode of Dub Talk, what cybering is. Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> the anti-cybering PSA. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, so if by weird, some weird stroke of luck you have somehow managed to come to our little corner on the internet without knowing what SAO is about, uh, the summary from ANN goes as follows. Uh, the players of virtual reality MMORPG Sword Art Online are trapped and fighting for their very lives. After it is announced that the only way to leave the game is by beating it, Kirito, a very powerful swordsman, and his friends take on a quest to free the minds of all trapped in Ingrad. Ah, because this will definitely make for a good 25-episode series. Uh, I mean, it could have if they didn't change the premise and if the second half didn't exist, but we'll get to that. So, my perspective on Sword Art Online has changed kind of a lot over the course of its existence. It's been almost a decade since Sword Art came out originally. And the thing to know when talking about Sword Art Online is that it is an extremely polarizing series to watch and talk about in that everybody's got a different stance on it some people think it's the worst thing ever made some people think it's the greatest thing ever made some people like to make fun of it on the internet some people like to praise it on the internet i am not in the camp that this is the greatest thing ever made but i also don't think it's the worst thing ever made but i am in the camp that will talk about it critically while also making fun of it and taking the piss out of it on the internet. The show is, I'm just gonna say, the show itself is below average to me. Not awful, not amazing. In my case, it's like, there are so many things that could have taken this from good to great to even, like, very top tier, but I think there's a lot of problems in the original source material, as well as the anime team's choices of what to do. Oh, yeah. We'll get to a lot of that because I feel like you cannot talk about the dub of the show without, in fact, bringing up the show in general. Right, it's yeah. gonna be very difficult. Like, I'll admit, I used to be a huge SAO hater, but, like, in a lot of the things that I think a lot of people say about the show are actually, like, not as true as they want to admit, but because of the way that it's either written or the anime, like, paces itself, it kind of ruins a lot of really good things for it. But we're mostly going to talk about the dub, and, I, like, it's going to be hard to focus on just that when the show is well, this show. Yeah. It's Sword Art Online. Everybody's got a take on Sword Art Online. Everyone gets their swings at Kirito. I'm going to be honest, I'm actually not going to be all that mean to Kirito today. Same. I oh also don't think I'm gonna be I, that I don't mean think, to him either. I'm not gonna be too mean to Kirito either. I yeah, like my sense on Kirito has softened significantly. Like, is he a Gary Sue? Sure, but I mean, I actually have an argument that he's not. But we'll get to that when we actually talk about the man. Yeah, I mean, he's not a slaver. He's not a sex criminal. So he is automatically a lot better than a lot of our current Isekai kind of protagonists. He's just That's a fifteen-year-old edge lord who's trying to be cool. And with my, ex <laughs> with my experience over the past few years of the internet, 15-year-olds uh -huh. on the internet are kind of fucking terrible. He's fucking fine. Honestly, I don't even think he's that much of an edgelord. I just think that the anime doesn't pace itself well or doesn't do enough to actually, like, confront that. But at this point, we might be here for a couple hours. So... Yeah. Okay. So, uh, first up, as always, we have our ADR voice director, and he's not the scriptwriter for the dub, which for this show happened to be the same person. So the person being one Alex Von David. Uh, he's had a lot of titles, both small and ridiculously big, over the years at Bag Zoom. 
Uh, but specifically, some of those work you might know include such shows as Dorara X2, Kill a Kill Erased, and Konosuba, where he pulled double duty as both the director and the dub for all those shows, just like this one. Beckett, why don't you go first? So, I think that this is a dub that a lot of people would probably want to shit on. Because, oh, the main actor is overused. Oh, his voice is so annoying. I actually think the dub of this is really, really well done. Like, even most people who I think are in the dub sphere who hate the show are like, yeah, no, the dub makes it watchable. Honestly, I think the dub has a lot of really funny moments in it. I enjoy the use of, like, little gamer slang every so often so it doesn't feel as uptight and as rigid as you would think it is. And I do have to give a lot of credit to the actresses, especially in this show. Like, a lot of the women who have had to act in this show have had to act out some of the most rank and unbearable acting of their careers. Not limited to a lot of misogyny and sexual assault, which for some reason the anime team likes to really revel in. And it's a big detractor from a lot of the show. So I do want to give a lot of the compliments to a lot of the female actors in this because they're putting their hearts out there. And that's the one thing I do want to really compliment about this is... Um, if you've ever seen the bloopers of SAO, like, it's very clear that these people care about the show, but they also like to take the piss out on it. Because sometimes it's fun to take the piss out of this and enjoy a nice Portuguese breakfast. (laughs) (laughs) I was trying to remember, I'm like, what was the breakfast? Ah, yes, the infamous Portuguese (laughs) breakfast. (laughs) Please go watch the Sword Online bloopers if you have not already. Just remember, Kirito likes it when you cup the balls. (laughs) (laughs) I took a swig of my drink, fuck. That is an actual factual thing from the bloopers. Just remember to cup the balls. Oh my god. Guys, he's taking a swig of my drink. Oh no. (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) Even Andrew's driven to drink and he doesn't. He really doesn't, yeah. I Like I said, like these people obviously care. And they're putting their hearts into it and it really comes through. This is a really entertaining dub. It's well polished. It's it's genuinely a very good dub. <laughs> there's not a lot to complain about. Maybe there's a couple of flat line reads here or there, but this is genuinely like really good Alex von David work. So that's all I got to say. Cool. Uh, Andrew. All right. Uh, Alex von David. Uh, he has definitely done a lot of prolific work over the course of his career, and he does some very good work with Sword Art Online. He doesn't really care if people don't like SAO, because he really likes it, and he really loves the cast and crew he's assembled for. He's gotten really invested in the material, and this is kind of where it all started. I feel like some of the people that are considered, like, overused by today's standard, at the time were pretty fresh faces or not as, like, heavily used, like... Yeah, like, our lead was not quite the household name he is now. Like, this dub predates Attack on Titan. But no, I think the direction on this is pretty solid. The cast is pretty good, and even a lot of the scenes where the drama does work and where it doesn't, holy shit, there's some moments where it doesn't, that the delivery of it is still convincing and strong enough where it's like, oh man, if I was invested, I'd be really invested. I would be so much more invested in this if it wasn't incest. Oh, uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> that bad get early, to huh? that. Man, I would be more invested into this if the director wasn't a fucking ass man right now. Okay, okay, no, no, no. I don't believe Tomohiko Ito is necessarily an ass man, but I believe whoever directed episode 5 of it 
really was because that one girl that Natalie plays, like there is just <laughs> I I love that Like there are so many shots of like her and Asuna bent over a table and the camera is just firmly on their ass. Yeah, so. it, it's one of my favorite memes. Like you ever notice there's a lot of weird camera angles in anime? What do you mean? And it's just this really like close up firm, like detailed shot of like her ass popping out of her <laughs> yoga pants. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that in hindsight. It's still funny. Yeah, it's still hilarious. It's still weird because Austin is like 17. Silica's like, what, 14? Anyways, so, the point I'm actually trying to make is, SAO is a polarizing show. I'm pretty sure the people who work on SAO know it's a polarizing show, but you can tell that they're giving their all and honestly elevating material that probably would not have landed as hard for me and at least making me care. So, Mr. Von David... You got a very strong, solid ensemble for the most part. And especially when this was done in, like, the early 2010s, mm -hmm. it's it's pretty solid work. Okay, uh, Steph? So, Sword Art Online as a show is not the greatest thing in the world. <laughs> There's a lot of problems with the show itself. But goddammit, do they actually give a damn about the dub? And the dub is actually really solid for what this show is. It's almost better than what the show actually deserved. <laughs> I mean, and that speaks volumes for Alex Von David as both a director and a writer, because I think he's definitely one of the stronger directors on the L.A. side. Um, the On the directing and the writing front, it's actually really solid. It actually does make the show ten times more tolerable. It's been stated before that some people be, might be like, but some of these actors are overused. And da 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 why? 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 It's like, first of all, if we're talking about Kirito, it's like, this was actually where this person really blew up. <laughs> second of all, let's talk about Asuna for a hot second. This was, I believe, the first big, big thing that she had gotten after, like, going to LA, if I'm correct. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. So, y'all can fuck off. It was great. But, um, no, bottom line, the dub is very solid on the writing and directing front. Um, but, let me see. I will say this one thing. There was an Oberon pronunciation. I forgot which character it was. They pronounced it as Oberon. I'm like, who the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> who the fuck let this person pronounce this as that? I'm like, what the hell? Um, it's really just minor rips. Otherwise than that, like, the dub is really solid, honestly. It makes the show that much more tolerable to watch and sit through. And like everybody else, I don't hate it as much as I did almost a decade ago now, which is saying a lot. Okay, uh, Roots? Yeah, um, I, I've gotta say, this probably is one of the strongest dubs of its time, um, and it actually kind of surprised me coming back to it after the, um, because the last time I saw this show was during the Toonami run. I believe this was, like, one of the first things that debuted on New Toonami after Deadman Wonderland. Yeah, because I remember they got a lot of, like, catalog Funimation stuff early on before getting, like, actual new shows. Yeah, they did Dead Man Wonderland and they had Cash and Sins, I think, early on. That was, so. like, the beginning of the Right. Yeah. So they didn't have any new, new things at the time. But yeah, I want to think that maybe the fact that it ended up getting broadcasts on television up the, up the production values a little. Maybe not. I don't know. But, um, casting for what it is and taking into account the time in which this was dubbed is pretty solid. I also, like everybody else, don't really understand the, oh, all these people are overplayed. No, 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 that came after. Um, as for the script writing, one of the things I like in a show like Sword Art Online is, because it's kind of technically a fantasy 
I check to see if the world feels pretty much alive, and I really have no complaints with how sort of the background characters are talking amongst themselves and all that. It actually does really help flesh out something like Einkrad or Alfheim. And the, the actual name character's banter was actually pretty good. It felt really punchy and funny when it needed to be, and while I wouldn't say the dramatic moments hit as much as I feel like they should have, that feels a little more the consequence of the show itself and not necessarily the dub. Um, so overall, Under the Hood, I think this was just an absolutely solid, crafted dub. So, thumbs up. Why are you laughing? Because I'm, I'm now actually reading the quotes as they overbridged and oh, I forgot. No. Ah. I was reading the bloopers of the anime and I, I was trying to fucking lose it. <laughs> okay, cool. We have the same thoughts. <laughs> I swear to the goddess Stacy, as soon as you fulfill your mission, my body will be yours for the taking. But no motorboating, you little bitch! <laughs> Damn, son, what conditioner are you using? <laughs> I fucking love these. <laughs> They're pretty top tier. I'll say this, though. A lot of the Alex Von David um, anime bloopers for things like this, Madoka, Kill a Kill, and... Did he do Blue Exorcist? Yeah, he, he did. did. Yes. yes. Okay, all of those bloopers are top fucking tier because Madoka Magica is my favorite fucked up anime blooper of all time. It's Sayaka and the guy that she likes in the elevator. And he's like, why are we going to the roof? And Sarah Williams just goes, paraplegic face jumping. God. <laughs> that and the Kill a Kill ones fucking murder me every time. Megan, now I think I want a tier list of like all of your favorite anime bloopers now. Sword Art's pretty top tier, is S tier. Uh, Kimono Friends is fucking S tier. Okay, you know oh, what? Oh, Kimono Friends is great. Kimono Friends is fucking S tier. Kimono Friends bloopers are fucking amazing. <laughs> Amber, why? <laughs> I thought we, I were, thought we were friends. Ah, uh, okay. That that's definitely worth revisiting another time. Princess Tutu is A tier too. Alright, um so I seen the show in Japanese like forever ago, but this was like my first time uh, ever going to the dub. Uh, mostly because uh, when I got to the end of my crowd in Japanese, I was kind of done with the show for a while. So it's kind of interesting revisiting it and sort of seeing how my opinions change for both better and worse. Uh, going into the dub itself, uh, as is kind of always the case with Alex Von David stuff, pretty much all the performances here were, like, either really solid or really strong. And I really appreciated how much raw emotion he was able to pull out of the actors, even when the material itself could be uh, pretty mediocre or outright terrible. I especially appreciate uh, how much of a trooper a lot of female actors were in the show, given some of the material they had to work with. And I definitely appreciate the heck out of that. Um, I also think the show was, like, pretty solidly casted. Um, again, I know a lot of these actors seem maybe a little overplayed now, but they were definitely, like, less so back then. And, uh, aside from, like, maybe one particular casting and original choice that kind of bothered me about a certain character we'll get to later, I was pretty happy with just about how everyone sounded. Uh, script was also pretty solid. I thought that Alex did a really good job of adapting the material pretty faithfully without having anything sound too wooden. And like Megan was saying, I really appreciated how well the dad was able to make the characters sound like actual teenagers and gamers without going too over the top with it. And while I didn't think the gamer lingo was as good as some of the stuff in the Gungale dub, I thought that what we did get matched the tone of the show pretty well and it was a lot of fun. 
So, yeah, on the technical front, Alex Von David did an incredible job here. And uh, with that, let's start talking about some of the characters. So, uh, first up, we have what I'd like to refer to as some of the minor league members of Kirito's Not Harem. Harem Squad! Harem Squad! Harem Squad! The best girl is here! They're the bench warmers. <laughs> yeah, uh, they're important enough to show up for an episode or two and get a decent amount of screen time out of the deal for those episodes. Also, they magically get to come back in other seasons because they're not male. Yeah, but they couldn't quite get that contract signed that would have brought them into the major league. They get to be as close to protagonist status as possible while Kirito is still there being his center of attention. These are the the background players. They're important to the team. They're important for morale. They're important for chemistry. And they're important for when Asuna's Kuji is a little sore. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Sometimes Kirito needs to sharpen his blade on other waste stones. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes Asuna just wants to watch in the closet, you know? Andrew! <laughs> <laughs> sometimes Kirito needs to use the dual wielding in real life, except for these swords vibrate. <laughs> Can we please talk about these characters? Not without a hundred thousand sex jokes. Oh I'm sorry, God. I'm sorry. Now I'm just imagining this very explicit scene, and then all the while in the background, coffee so. <laughs> I'm just gonna go into the corner <laughs> and die. Andrew, you're coming with me to the damn corner. Uh, so, uh, anyway, the minor leaguers we're talking about tonight are Sachi, Silica, and Lisbeth. Uh, Sachi is a member of the Moonlit Black Cat skill that Kirito joins early on in SAO, and is deeply terrified at the possibility of dying in this game. You'll never guess what happens to her. Her contract Jeez. wasn't renewed. She's Gwen Stacy! <laughs> You're not wrong. God, God, what if she was like Spider Gwen in the progressive novels? That'd be great. <laughs> no, Rekka can't allow two women to be cool at once. <laughs> Patrick's slowly dying in the I think I fucking now. killed my boyfriend. Are you okay, Patrick? Uh, I knew you were just, just dying. dying. <laughs> the Gwen Stacy thing got me. <laughs> also, she, Sachi got banned from the team because she ruined Christmas. <laughs> uh, so, uh, continuing, uh, Silica is a young girl who befriends Kirito after he agrees to help her because she reminds him of her sister and she looks up to him. And Lisbeth is a blacksmith who rightly butts head with Kirito after he breaks one of her prized swords. Uh, but after uh, going on a course together, she ends up falling for him, but, well, you know, she's here in the minor leagues for a reason. I'm sorry you had to be ranked below a little bit since so you kind of deserved better. She touched poop for him! <laughs> she handled dragon ambergris. She handled dragon poo, and if that's not love, I don't know what is. Honey, I need you to jump into a ditch and find me dragon shit. <laughs> how does- Alright, I need to get me galoshes, though. Will you craft our wedding ring at a dragon poop? <laughs> Andrew, I love you. Please do not touch any poop for me, alright? Pussy. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck off. I'm doing it. <laughs> Andrew, be a man. Take this dragon poop. <laughs> can I get a cool sword out of it? I was going to say, you can always go for cuff. <laughs> because that battle is hard and she can't break those cuffs. Shit, who the fuck's playing these girls? This is just slowly devolving. Goddamn. Well, that's about what I expected. 
Uh, anyway, uh, Sachi is played by Zanfi Wynn, uh, Silica is played by Christine Marie Cabados, and Lizbeth is played by Sarah Ann Williams. Uh, Zanfi Wynn has played such characters as Sophia Taylor in Apari Rodman, Yuki Yuda in Yuki Yuda as a Hero, and Best Girl Alka Zoldik from Hunter x Hunter 2011. Christine Marie Cabados has played such characters as Rebecca in One Piece, Felt and ReZero, Sonic Life in Another World, and Madoka Kanabe from the Bulamagi Madoka Matsuka franchise. And lastly, Sarah Ann Williams has played such characters as Nodo Dekazare from Kill Kill, Berserker Black and Fate Apocrypha, and Niko Kozuki, aka Scarlet Rain from its own world because, you know, had to reference the other Kawahara thing in here. You didn't mention Sayaka Miki, who did nothing wrong! That too. So, uh, Seth, would you like to start us off this time? Let's see, so... Xanthi, Christine, and Sarah. I'll start with Xanthi on this one. Poor Sachi. <laughs> Sachi is a precious cinnamon roll too good and pure for this earth. She did nothing wrong. And Xanthi is just soft and sweet and just makes her so sweet and precious. Because I feel like Sachi would basically be me if I was playing an MMORPG because I wouldn't know what the fuck I'm doing. <laughs> And I would just be like, I don't want to die. <laughs> would your lag get you killed? Probably my lag would get me killed. No, but Xanthi is just so sweet and so innocent. And she definitely made my heart hurt at the end of episode three when she ruins Christmas. <laughs> I wish Sachi got to do more and not be a one-note death flag. Um, Christine. Christine Cabanos is also really sweet, but Silica has a spunky personality to her. She's very youthful sounding and has this fun energy to her, but she also has some hesitancy to her because she's used to being viewed as like a mascot to parties. She's the idol. She's the idol. She's the idol that all the boys want in her party just to say that they have a cute girl in their squad. But Christine obviously portrays Silica as much more than that and it's very cute and adorable and I love it. Sarah Ann Williams as Lizbeth. I love Lizbeth the Pieces. I will admit, Sarah can get occasionally, like, really screechy at times when she's, like, when Lizbeth is yelling, but only just a touch. But she's also, Lizbeth is, like, a no-nonsense personality, and it's great. She doesn't put up with anyone's bullshit. She doesn't put up with Kirito's bullshit. Bro, you broke my sword. What the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's so fun, and she has this great energy to her. I, I loved every second of it, so... With small exception to a little bit of screeching for Lizbeth, all of these performances were really solid to me. Cool. Uh, Roots? Sure. Unfortunately, of the three, I have the least to say about Silica. Um, I liked it, but again, she seems like the most one-off of the three, even though she she goes on to do things later on in the series. They give her cat ears. I know, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> We mentioned that she's seen as the mascot in the party, then she actually legitimately becomes the mascot of the party. It's like a full circle. So, a thought occurs to me. God, what? Silica would have been a VTuber. Fuck. Fair. <laughs> That's I fair. I you, but you're not wrong. Um, anyway, I liked it, but as of the first season, there wasn't much to it, so it's fine. Sachi, on the other hand, despite being, you know, more one-off, she actually gets a full, complete story arc to her, namely because she gets dead by the end of the episode. As you do. Yeah, 
Xanthi does a really good job making her a precious little cinnamon roll, too good and pure for this world, that if Kirito had just been a little more proactive in letting the party know what his actual level was, warning them about the dangers of the traps they were in with the room, maybe she would have lived. Kirito! I still don't get how that works. I don't either, but it gives me a chance to blame Kirito. I mean, I suppose they throw some kind of body does have some very clear survivor's guilt about that. The purpose of this episode is to freaking give Kirito trauma. That's what this is about, unfortunately. And the reality is, it is very integral to the plot right. and to his character when the series feels like it. Yeah, and the unfortunate thing in this case is an entire guild had to be fridged in order for Kirito to get this character development. That is not only a problem with this season, they are very bad at deciding whether Kirito actually has post-traumatic stress disorder and, like, survivor's guilt. They are very inconsistent with how they play that card. Specifically, like, there's one really big thing that contradicts itself in the second half of Alicization's War of the Underworld. And it's literally back-to-back -back episodes, and it's just like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Now, Lisbeth, on the other hand, I have a lot to say about Lisbeth, because Lisbeth is great. I love the conversations she has with both Asuna and Kirito. And the one she has with both of them in the room is really great. It feels like she goes from zero to, um, can I be the Toi de Menage? Yup. In, like, no time flat. <laughs> and it's just, it's great. She's like, hey, I'll, 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 I'll do this. It's fine. Let's go. Like, she is hilariously thirsty. And, like, in the last episode, with her interactions with the rest of the Kirito Harum B-strings... You're the one who said you wanted them to be all lovey-dovey for a month. It's still tacky, though. <laughs> Bless her heart. Bless her heart. <laughs> like, that banner and back and forth in that scene was just absolutely pitch perfect. Yeah, and that also goes quite a long ways toward uh, the characters of Lisbeth and Silica. So, yeah, I, I really like this batch of characters. I know one of them is just kind of off to the side because they dead. But the other two... If I ever get around to watching the other two seasons, um, I, I'd love to see their development further. They're great. Thumbs up. Okay, um, Andrew? So, I'll start with, uh, Sachi. This is a very early role for Xanthi, I recall. I think probably, like, one of her earliest ones. She does a very good job making Sachi cute, sweet, adorable, endearing, and dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have to make sure that quality's in there, right? She makes a good job at making her Adora dead. But no, I think Sachi does a good job. I actually do kind of enjoy, like, her and Kirito's, like, chemistry together. I don't quite get the whole, like, keeping the level a secret thing. I think the gist is higher level makes tougher enemies aggro you. No, the implication is, is, like, if... Kirito's concern is that if people find out that he's a higher level than them, and especially if he was a beta tester... No, Steph, get it right. He's a beater. I... Shut up. <laughs> that that people are gonna hate him because he's like, oh, you're a fucking cheater. You all know, you know all about this shit. 
It's like, yeah, yeah, got the impression he didn't tell them because he was kind of afraid of like getting thrown out of the party or yep, something. That's exactly the problem. And I think there was also a little bit of it, um, because I believe it was the episode before when they do the uh the first dungeon raid. When we first meet Asuna. Yeah, and the boss character had a different attack pattern than what he remembered. Right. So that might have also played a factor in it, but that's just me. And then there's also that one guy who was also a, a beta tester who dies in his arms tonight. Anyways. Sachi, <laughs> Santhi's adorable. She does a great job. Uh, Silica, Christine Cabanos. This was also a little earlier for her, but no, she is spectacular as Silica. She does a great job making her sound uh, moe adorable AF. Uh, Sarah Ann Williams. Uh, at this point, she is prolific, legendary, a force to be reckoned with. Oh, she is so fun. She's got all the sass. She's got all the spunk. She's cute. She's sweet. You can tell she gets heartbroken easy. Not the first girl to get heartbroken. Sure, shit ain't gonna be the last. But no, uh, Sarah Ann's just very fun. Her voice just matches. Like, I feel like there's a couple of performances that are better in SAO, but Sarah as Lisbeth is the one that blends the most with the character, if that makes sense. Like, natural fit. A match made in whatever the fuck Eincrad's supposed to be. Hell. <laughs> no, wait, that's Al 5. No, Eincrad's a match, <laughs> a match made in a silver castle that looks like a vajayjay. Ah! <laughs> uh, come on, it's not a vagina. It's more of a vibrator, at least. Okay, no, wait, like, no, it's rounded and it has things on the bottom that go out with this. It's a butt plug. <laughs> All right, you you heard it here, folks. Uh, Einkrad is an ass. The Lone Castle of Einkrad looks like a butt plug. It looks like a butt plug. I need. Am I gonna have? Am I gonna have to break into my second bottle since I Akihiko Kayaba's lifelong ambition was to create the world's most realistic virtual butt plug for his giant virtual ass. <laughs> I mean, he lives in the database now. He can stuff it wherever database, he wants. Database, database, database. <laughs> committing crimes, committing libertarian crimes in the database. Okay, look, say what you will about Kayaba. He was not selfish enough to make the seed a paid wall exclusive. He made that software open source. That so what are you work. saying? That he's a communist? <laughs> Did he commit crimes of communism? <laughs> okay, I'm going to just step away because that's a level of political ideological debauchery we do not have time to divulge into. Let's just talk about dumb anime I have, tits. I have to break into the next bottle. Hold on. Bro, he took my drink and he's stealing a sip from it. What the fuck? Um, so, uh, while Seth and I do our bottling over drinks, Megan, would you like to go? Database, database, committing crimes, killing 6,000 people in a database. Oopsie whoopsie. Whoa-oh. I made a fucky-wucky. fucky-wucky. I'm Akihiwa Kaibowa, and I made a fucky-wucky. God, imagine God, imagine if imagine if Akihiko Kayaba lived and he made a fucking like apology video. Oh my god. Kayaba is canceled. Oh Jesus Christ, shut up. Alright, so let me start off with Silica and Christina Marie Kamados. 
I think she does a good job playing this, like, spunky little girl character. I think she's cutesy enough for her one-off episode. She's a little bit sarcastic and stuff, but I just need to read uh, my description of what Silica says to that one girl who's like, Give us all your healing crystals. Fuck you, thought. I could find a bunch of lolly-loving simps to help me in this hellhole. They haven't had a chance to spank the monkey in a year, and I've got a prime pussy. Okay. I also like in that episode that, like, Kirito casually drops that his grandpa abused him. <laughs> yeah, my grandpa beat me to be better at kendo than I quit. And she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. It's like, ah, it's good. This had no psychological damage on me whatsoever. Silica kind of gets dropped because the show realized, maybe we don't need two Siskons. This one doesn't even have the same blood. It's like that part of Toy Story where Woody has the dream of, I don't need to play with you anymore. And it's Silica's Woody and Leafia is this buzz. Xanthi does a good job as Gwen Stacy. I mean, uh, Sachi. No, I think she's very soft and very sweet and just very tender. And I like kind of the stuff that they have going for them. I think Xanthi does a, a really good job. I also like to point out that they died in a combination of Kirito being a loner slash capitalism. We need more money for the house. Capitalism! Yay! Trap money. And then uh, it's time to talk about a character near and dear to my heart. For I, Megan, am the number one Lady Lizbeth simp. I fucking love Lizbeth. Lizbeth is probably the closest character and personality to me in, like, any show. She is adorable, sweet, and Sarah Ellen Williams is the only voice I can ever hear coming out of that. I fucking love her Lizbeth performance. It's funny. It's heartfelt. It's this right level of dumb 15-year-old girl who's going through a lot of fucking trauma. According to Yui, she is one of the people who felt utter despair. Somebody modded Junko and Oshima into SAO. Oh, fuck. God. Could you imagine at the end, instead of fighting Heathcliff, you have to fight Junko? Bro, I'd fucking play that game. Immortal object, Junko and Oshima. <laughs> Dongan rope in the MMO. She'd be super OP, and, like, she'd have, like, one of those, like, crazy, like- Could you imagine a VR MMO of Ropa where everyone gets to be their own super high school-like thing? You know someone's gonna pick super high school-level hentai addict. Megan, I am biting my tongue. Anyway, I think Sarah Williams is fucking perfect. She's probably one of my favorite performances in the show, and, like, honestly, I love Sarah Ann Williams. I think Sarah Ann Williams can do zero wrong. That's all I gotta say. Jet, go ahead before it get us even more off track. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, getting back on track for ten seconds. Um, Good luck. So I, <laughs> yeah. So I guess I'll start with uh, Chrissy Marie Cabanos as Silica. Uh, I thought they did a really good job of making Silica, you know, sound kind of awkward and cute and stuff. I did kind of sort of like the Big Brother Big Sister dynamic between her and Gary Doe and how like. We kind of learned a little bit more about Kirito's home life through their interactions and, you know, Kirito casually dropping that his grandpa abused him and, you know, how he kind of feels a little bit awkward around his sister now because he ended up taking up Kendo for him and, and how Silica kind of, kind of believes it by saying that his sister probably doesn't hate him as much as he thinks she does. 
I thought that whole scene was pretty good. I thought that Christine's delivery was pretty good there. Uh, I definitely would have liked uh, their episode a lot more if Silica wasn't, you know, getting grabbed by tentacle monsters every five minutes, but... There are too many scenes of tentacles in this show. Some very, very, very touchy vines. But yeah, I like Christine a lot. I thought she did a good job. Jeffrey Wayne as Sachi. I thought she had some of the best raw acting chops in the dub, despite only being one episode. I thought she did a really good job of kind of selling Sachi to her more liberal fear of dying, and I thought that made her whole dynamic with Kirito pretty interesting. I especially just liked to see the two of them where they were just kind of like sitting by the water, and she was just kind of opening up to him about her fears. I thought that Sanfi's delivery there was really sincere and natural, and it kind of got me a little bit more emotionally invested in that episode than I was expecting to be. And uh, while I thought the whole, like, recording dying message thing after her dying was a little bit overly convenient, like, I felt like the episode would have been a little bit stronger if it was, like, more ambiguous as to how she felt towards Kirito in her last moments, but I thought that Zampi kind of conveyed the emotion of that scene really well either way, so uh, I'll give her props for that. It's also still pretty goddamn haunting to have, like, the sad humming melody of Rudolph and then immediately go into the Silica episode. You want to talk about tonal whiplash? Yeah, I will say even if it was, like, super obvious what was going to happen to her, I did actually like her episode quite a bit, so you do get one point from me, I think. And lastly, Sarah and Williams with Elizabeth. Elizabeth is a lot more kind of down-to-earth and normal than, like, a lot of the gremlins I'm used to Sarah and Williams playing, but... Uh, she made her sound extremely sassy, I definitely like that. And I also liked how well she bounced off of character's actor. I had some of her reactions during bits like when he broke her sword or, you know, Ronald carried her onto a dragon were pretty funny and Sarah Zolipri was especially good in those scenes. I also kind of liked, you know, the sort of quiet scene where her and Kirito were kind of talking about if anything they experienced in SAO could be, you know, like considered real and how... Elizabeth kind of mentioned she wasn't sure she would ever have any experiences like that in the real world and how that's kind of something that's valuable to her and I felt she did a pretty good job of kind of conveying what the overall theme of SAO was kind of supposed to be and I, I thought Sarah's delivery there was pretty good. Again, overall I'm not sure exactly how much I'd super with Kirito but it didn't feel very bad for her when she lost the Kirito Bowl. I thought she deserved to be an actual contender for at least a little while longer but hey, she's another season so, well... I mean, her luck is going to fare any better in those seasons. I would still like to point out that, like, the second she realizes that Asuna has a crush on Kirito, she immediately does chicks before dicks. Which means that Lizbeth is Asuna's true ride-or-die hub. Oh, absolutely. There's girls that would have put up a fight. No, Lizbeth is immediately like, yo, Asuna, you got this? And like Patrick said, she can be the mana to the tra. Look, if Asuna had to pick a girl, she's a fine option. And on that note, uh, we're going to segue into talking about some of our male players who show up. They do show up. Yay! They're a thing. Male, male harm, harm squad. squad. Male, male harm, harm squad. squad. Oh, except for one. Oh, God. I'm looking at this again. I'm like, except for one asshole. Oh, except that asshole. <laughs> except for one. And so this is some of our male characters who show up across Eincrad and Alphime or both. Uh, we have Clyde, Agil, Curidil, and Recon. Clyde is a player who Kirito meets early on in SAO before it turns into a death game. And he's basically just a really chill and perfect bro who kind who does his best to help out Kirito whenever he can, despite, you know. He's also kind of the series' eternal butt monkey. All Clyde wants <laughs> is his fucking pizza, guys. He is the Yamcha of the series. <laughs> 
I don't both, even watch DBZ much, but I understand the he reference. He's the Yamcha of the series in that Fuck. he is kind of shit on the series. But Klein has a very dedicated, loyal fandom yeah. of people who want him to be in the show more. Klein is a good To boy. do more. And there's even some people that would have been more than happy for him to be a contender in the uh, Kirito harem squad. There's only one man for Kirito, and he's his blonde nobody. Yu-Gi-Oh wins everything. Just- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, Klein is just like, you know, a really good bro, despite Kirito trying to be a lone wolf constantly. And uh, then we have Egil, who's a blacksmith who pretends scary too, and also kind of helps him out as an info broker of sorts, both fan and outside of SAO. Uh, Currydale is a member of the Knights of the Blood Oath, who serves as Asuna's bodyguard, and clearly has no ulterior motives whatsoever for wanting, to, for wanting to be around her all the time. Just none at all. Fuck this guy. <laughs> Man, Currydale. You want to know what he looks like? He looks like Benjamin Button fucked an old catcher's mitt, like four inches of face fast over 12 inches of skull, like a moldy jack-o'-lantern that some frat guy barked in and then crushed against his forehead because he was super drunk and thought it was a beer can and immediately regretted every single life choice he's ever made. Dang. Thanks, SAO Bridged. <laughs> Kodeo looks like some guy who got lost on his way to the Food Wars episode. And he acts like one, too. <laughs> Curadil looks like a very trustworthy 15-year-old boy. He's not 15, Andrew! <laughs> Look, it's not Curadil's fault that he took a wrong turn at Albuquerque and ended up in Fuyuki City. <laughs> it's not Curadil's fault that when the stork dropped him into his mother crib, he's hit every stick of the ugly tree on the way down. <laughs> and landed on his head. Now that I think about it... God, Kuradil does kind of look like a young Gilda Rye. Andrew, you get that out of this house. Yeah, he does. Kuradil does look like a man that would murder children. I mean, he fucking tried! Yeah, he did try. Oh, Christ. Anyway. Yep, yeah, so anyway, uh, lastly, Rekon is a self player from Alfheim. And let's not miss any words here. He's basically just a dad sent for Leafa. Unfortunately, he's just kind of in the wrong show for that, so he has it very rough. Rekon is a good boy! God. Fuck you. Okay, look, I know I called Klein the Yamcha of the series. Yamcha is at least able to keep up with the rest of the crew. Rekon's the fucking Hercule. Oh, no. Excuse me, Rekon's more useful than Hercule's ever been. That's true. No! Megan? Megan, I will fight I mean, her, you I, can't, I mean, Hercule, no, Hercule saved Mr. the universe. Mr. Satan Hercule has actually more useful than Rekon has been in this series. I will fight you on that. I will fucking I, fight I, you I, on you that. You shut your for- Fuck you fight me, meet you in Jersey in a month. I've got a mud pit and a, and a fast foot. Hey, Megan. Megan, can I join your team? I, I have to disagree with my own boyfriend. Mr. Satan saved the fucking world. Rekon did nothing wrong. Rekon deserves better. Bro, yes. you don't confess and then go in for the kiss. That's just not how this works, but At least he can get into the kiss, unlike <laughs> Mr. Satan. It works if you're an awkward teenager. Mr. Awkward Social Butterfly over here that's sitting next to me. Andrew, you're a recon. A recon who's gotten his leafia. You know what? Fine, I'll accept that. <laughs> but I will still defend Mr. Satan's honor, thank you. That man saved the world. God damn it. Anyway, Did he, though? Anyway. Did he? Okay, technically, yeah, he did actually get booed behind ice, so... I guess he gets a little bit of a stroke on the dick. <laughs> uh, so, uh, anyway, uh, playing Clyde, we have Kirk Thornton. Uh, playing Akio, we have Patrick Seitz. Uh, for Kurdi, we have Doug Erholtz. And for Recon, we have Marin Miller. Uh, Kirk Thornton has been doing voice acting in anime for longer than 
you know, most of the audience listening to this have been alive. But specifically, he's played such characters as Shiro Fujimoto in Blue Exorcist, Dabumon in the Digimon franchise, and Don Patch in Bo 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 Bo, because I just had to get that out there. Patrick Sainz has played such characters as Sky High and Tiger and Bunny, Endeavor in My Hero Academia, and you thought we were talking about Overpowered Gamers, but it was idea from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Oh my god! Imagine if somebody modded Tio into fucking Deseo! Oh god, everyone would die. Maybe that's why Kayabo left locked them all in there. He didn't want anybody modding it like Skyrim. <laughs> Could you imagine, like, Thomas the Tank Engine mods in Sao? <laughs> and for anybody saying, you can't mod in a VR MMO, and I say, not with that attitude. <laughs> Have you people seen VR chat? Anything's possible. I could play a VR MMO with Legacy in a maid outfit, thank you very fucking much. <laughs> Jonas is proof of that. Okay, as I continue on, uh, Doug Erholtz has played such characters as Asuma Sarutobi in Naruto, Akira Outland in Mobile Suit Gundam Armored and Orphans, and Kanif Elmoloy Archibald from Fate Zero. Uh, lastly, Baron Miller has played such characters as Luxidia from The Seven Deadly Sins, Amanda O'Neill in Little Wiz Academia, and Enkidu in Fate Granddaughter Babylonia. Uh, so, you know what? I'm actually going to go first for this one. I'll start with Kuridil and uh, Doug Erholtz. And so, uh, this performance was a pretty, you know, decent uh, villain performance. Uh, he did a good job of just reading very pure incel energy, like, like you can tell right away this guy is full of it, and Doug does a really good job of, you know, presenting him as being very seemingly noble and proper, but with a very suity attitude, and maybe just a little too obsessive with his role as Asuna's bodyguard. You can very clearly tell he's up to something. And uh, when Kurino finally snaps and shows his through crawlers, Doug delivers some very quality ham and does a really good job of making a guy come off as a total slimeball. I will admit, though, that the reveal of him belonging to one of the murder guilds was a little ham-fisted. Like, you could have just made him a creepy in, so he didn't really need to add, oh, he's a player killer, so of course he's evil. Uh, Marin Miller is Recon. Again, Recon is a bit of a simp, but I really like Marin's performance here. Uh, Mary did a really good job of making Recon, you know, sound like a scrawny nerd, but, but well-balanced between, you know, making him sound a little annoying, and also making you feel a little sorry for him because, you know, he has no chance with Leafy because incest, and also he's kind of in a wrong show here. But again, you do feel kind of sorry for this kid, and Mary does a really good job of making him sound like a very dumb, awkward teenager. Mary did a really good job of bouncing off of Leafy as actor, showing how far Recon here is willing to stick out his deck for her. I thought they had a pretty decent dynamic. Uh, Curry Thornton is Klein. Again, Klein is the best bro to ever bro, and he deserves far more respect than he gets in this show. Heck yeah, bro. Yeah, I thought that Curry did a really good job of making him sound, you know, very down-to-earth and friendly, as well as the kind of guy who clearly looks out for his buddies. I thought he did a really good job of bouncing off of Kirito's actor and a lot of the ad grind stuff, trying to help Kirito out despite him, you know, being a loner constantly. I also kind of like how you see him kind of deadly happy for Kirito when he starts opening up the Asuna bit for and how he tells Asuna to look out for him. I thought that was kind of sweet. It's just like, yeah, Clyde's a good bro. He deserves better than he gets. Then lastly, Patrick Seitz is Aguil. Uh, Acting-wise, uh, it's Patrick Seitz. I mean, the man knows what he's doing. It's it's pretty subtly acting. He does a pretty good job of making him come off as kind of a bro. He has a very nice kind of casual tone to his voice that I sort of liked. Uh, but if there is one thing that bothers me about the performance is that he does a very clear black scent and 
obviously I get why you would do that, but at the same time, it's one of those, like, if you're gonna go for a black set, just get a black actor. It's one of those kind of shows the dove's age. Yeah, it, it very much shows the dove's age. That one's completely on Bang Zoom's hiring process, and I think also on the director, because frankly, he should have pushed back on it. Yeah, because again, you know, it's not like there weren't black actors they could have hired. I mean, I know Bones Billingsby wasn't doing a lot of stuff over there at the time, but he still was doing some stuff. Keith Silverside was there. He's in this show. He could have used him. He's, in, he's like a lot of lot of one-off guys. I think he's also Asuna's father, which... Question for you while I'm thinking about it. Uh-oh. Is Asuna's dad a bad dad? Yes. Yes. He's terrible. Okay, cool. Yeah. He's terrible. Yeah. We'll get to him when we talk about Asuna. <laughs> I, I just wanted to ask, because I was curious. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, back on Agil. I mean, again, I understand actors and... Actors can only really do what they're directed to do, and I mean, the man's gotta eat, so I'm not like... So I wouldn't hold it against Pat Search Sites or anything, but it is just very much like... If you can go back in time, I do very much wish that if they were going to go to the effort of doing a black set, they just got a black actor for the role. But otherwise, Patrick Sites did a pretty decent job, and I don't like the performances for the most part. Andrew, why don't you go next? Okay, uh, Doug Erholtz. Classic, amazing actor. He is hamming it the fuck up when he's trying to stab a hoe. Die. 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 You know, that level of ham. It's like, that's, that's literally what he does when he's stabbing Kirito, is that he's just like fucking die. It was delightful. Anyways, Doug's good. I don't have much to say. He does a good job sounding like a cool, creepy, asshole, edgelord motherfucker. I still like the interpretation that Kuradil is not actually a member of the Laughing Coffin Guild and is in fact... Just a fan of their early work. I'll make these callbacks to SAO Bridge whenever I can. Anyways, uh, Merrin Miller. Uh, they do a very good job making Recon sound like this sweet little dorky dude. It's just really sweet, kind, can't hurt a fly. You can tell that he would try putting his fists up and it would break his hand when he tried punching somebody. He's got that level of glass bonage. He's a good, dorky little boy. Means well. I don't blame him for being into the big-titted blonde elf girl. But, like, bro, you confess and then you go in for the kiss. Like, you gotta, you gotta read the room a little, buddy. Doing... Like, like you? I wouldn't go in for the kiss after confessing, bro. I wouldn't do that. Bro, you straight up went in for an awkward kiss on our first date. Mmm, pot kettle. Mm. <laughs> Give me that fucking mic. Give me that fucking mic, dude. <laughs> yes! He's pleading the fifth. Are you about to come fight me, bitch boy? Let's go, bitch. Truth hurts, don't it, Andrew? Anyway, Merritt is a very good actor. They do a very good job with Recon. They don't get much to do with Recon, and man, Recon literally just disappears after this season. He gets patched out of the show. Okay, I actually looked up why he doesn't appear more, and it's the dumbest thing ever. Wait, is this like a light novel thing? Because I don't yes. think they ever. Okay, why? Why? Apparently, his his whole death explodey thing caught the eye of his big, tittied, very hot boss leader, and she's wanted him at his side to be his knight. You know what? Good for him! <laughs> Dude, her tits are even bigger than Leafa. Good for him! He works for Sayaka, then, is what you're saying. I'm not gonna lie. I want Sayaka to sit on my face. <laughs> 
<laughs> sorry, honey. You too? I'm sorry, she's just like... Bazinga. No, yeah, no. Bazinga. She got some bounce. Good for her. Alright, got... let's talk about the characters that didn't get patched out of the 1.0 SAO servers. Klein and Agiel. Agiel's a bro. Patrick Sites <laughs> does do a very good job playing Agiel. He's got the right level of, like, gruffness and tone that he needs for the character. He does a good job, though... It is definitely one of those things where it's like, I don't think this kind of casting decision would have been made today if it was then. I don't think, it, think he does a bad job with it. Upon rewatching it, I don't think I ever quite picked up the actual black sense. I never quite realized that. I'm like, oh, yeah. I still think, all in all, Patrick Seitz does do a good job. But it's one of those things that definitely shows its age. And Kirk Thornton is a fantastic job being the good bro, buddy, old pal, oh, needs a better screen time, <laughs> Klein. He's great, he's funny, he deserves a fucking pizza. <laughs> Do you think he asked for a pizza and they gave him the exact same pizza that was in his apartment oh, I that bet day? He woke... Oh, I hope not. I bet he woke up from SAL and he was like, hey, my first meal, can I have a pizza? I've wanted this pizza for, for two, two and a half years. years. Two and a half years of pizza glopped into his mouth. gushes all over the cheese the cheese strings out all over his face i aim to perform i aim to please now i'm imagining klein with a hago face but it's pizza sauce and cheese the man will settle for nothing other than stuffed crust <laughs> deep dish chicago style that's not a pizza that's a casserole Shut up. He wants it deep in his mouth, all right. <laughs> I'm sorry for the chaos I just No, you're not. No, you're not. <laughs> no, I'm absolutely not. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, Andrew. Fuck. Kirk Thornton, goodbye. <laughs> there we go. All right, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and do my apology tour for that joke by going up next. But I'm gonna make this quick, just for <laughs> just for derailing the episode that much. Okay, Recon is a precious little cinnamon roll, and uh, Marin Miller does a great job with him. I, I do like the scene where he tries to uh, confess to Leafa and then gets punched down the stairs. It's great. I had fun with it. Um, Kerr deals a little shit, and Doug Erholtz was absolutely deliciously hammy with him. From the moments he was playing him as a simp to, like, the absolute murderer in um, in the following episode, I thought it was great. You know, I made the, the Gilderai joke earlier, and um, I think it fits. I mean, again, he does try to murder children, so... This is fair. Kirk Thornton as Klein is great. I love that he continues to show up even after the Einkrad arc. Uh, he's just a good chill bro, and I hope he got his stoner pizza after he woke up. Like, what was it? Teriyaki and something else? Teriyaki and mayo or something? Teriyaki and mayo, thank you. 
I mean, I don't know about the mayo, but the teriyaki sounds good. But yeah, Klein deserves all the pizza. He deserves all the uh, all the praise. Um, and yeah, I, I can mostly say the same about Patrick Seitz as Igil. Um, again, as everybody was saying, like, it is a little weird that he did specifically a, a sort of stereotypical black accent when he is a white actor. But I think other than that, he played Agil with a nice aura of, like, calm and chill. And I think he did a great job with it. So overall, I thought this group was great. Okay, uh, Megan. Two years of pizza. <laughs> I can't fucking breathe. Uh, let's start with uh, Egil. I think Patrick did a great job, but it's hard to be like super complimentary of the performance when this should have gone to an actor of color. Especially like as the series went on. Like I like Patrick Seitz a lot as an actor. I don't. And I know recasting is probably hard for a lot of people, but I think at this point it, it should have been recast. And this one I'm going to blame a lot on the casting and directing team. I don't think he would have done the accent unless instructed to do the accent. I don't think Patrick Seitz is that person. Yeah, same. Yeah, like, I will knock that. That's like the biggest smirch on this dub is that. Uh, Doug Earholtz is Curadale. He is slimy and awful and... He does a good job being slimy, awful, and punchable, and he is one of the many things I have to complain about with this show, and I will get into that a lot in the next section. Um, Klein is- Kirk Thornton is great as Klein. He makes him sound absolutely chill. He makes him sound older than the other characters in the show, just like Patrick does as Agil. You would definitely tell that Klein is like a 20-something dude by the way that he talks. Uh, I'd also like to point out one of the first things that Kirito does is- I think Kirito can tell that Klein is an adult guy, and when Klein says, dude, can I date your sister, Kirito's first thing he does is kick him in the nuts. Uh, that was yes. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. I'm like, yes. that is a very valid reaction to that. Yeah, not only one, do you want to date my sister, number two, my sister is a minor. Uh, so, good job, Kirito. Yeah. That doesn't stop the animators now, does it? In Klein's defense, Klein doesn't know, know that. But still, Kirito literally kicks him in the nuts for saying, dude, I want to fuck your sister. Rightfully so. <laughs> like, it was literally within, like, a couple hours of him knowing him. Right. Like, rightfully so. Rightfully <laughs> so, dude. Like, come on, Klein. Technically, Klein is also the OG member of the harem. Yes. He predates Asuna Yuki. And he survives longer than Gwen Stacy. I refuse to call Sachi anything but that now. And, oh, Recon... I thought Recon was best boy of show. Recon's a good boy. Recon's a good boy. And Marin does a- Like, I love Marin getting to do young boy voices. I think that they are phenomenal at it. Recon did nothing wrong. Also, Recon went out like a badass. Like, obviously it sucks it didn't work, but it still was cool. Also, way to go, Leafa. You went and grabbed Kirito's soul, but not Recon? Okay, bitch. <laughs> Listen, man. Recon is right fucking there. She's got enough room in, in those elf titties for two souls. Oh, God. N well, no. Recon happened, Recon happened after Kirito got revived, though. Also, B, I'm just going to say this. Leafa's got three holes. Recon can have one and Kirito can have another. Ew. Why? And the third one can be for Sheenon Strapon. Oh, God damn it. And, yeah, I, I really like Marin's performance because Marin makes them seem so adorable and sweet. And you just want to root for him. 
You just want to root for Rekon. And just remember, uh, Leafia, thank God you're okay. I totally fucked that up. God damn it. I'm done. Okay, uh, Steph. Uh, Duggar Holtz's Corradiel is a fucking asshole and I want to punt him into the sun. <laughs> Corradiel's a dick. He thinks he's doing a noble duty and being Asuna's bodyguard. This dude is a fucking asshole. <laughs> and he's clearly obsessed. Because they make it a point to bring up the fact he's basically stalking Asuna because he was out front of her damn house waiting for her one morning. Like, the fuck is wrong with you, bro? When does he get his boombox? But, um, when Curradil gets to finally just, like, let it all go, Doug gets to go fucking buck wild and it's so much fun and I hate this fucking character. It's fun, though. Kirk Thornton is Klein. Klein is a good boy. It's almost Sachi levels of a cinnamon roll too good and pure for this earth, but he's just a straight up bro. He's a good friend and he cares. You can tell from day one he actually gives a shit about Kirito's well-being and his mindset. Because Kirito's always been that loner kind of character and Klein's just like, dude, why? Come play with us. It's fine, dude. What? You you think I care that you're Beatrester? No, cool. You can help us out with a couple of things. Like, like Klein is a good boy, and Kirk Thornton does great with it. Um, Kirito should have hung out with his guild more. Patrick cites his Aegil. Patrick cites, I did like the performance. I did like Aegil. Unfortunately, like everybody else is saying, this is a product of its time, because unfortunately, back in the early 2010s, for some odd reason, black voice actors weren't a huge prevalent thing, and it was a crying shame. But given what it is, and all this fun stuff, I think Patrick did a great job, and he was fine as Akiel. Um, <laughs> I think the true star of this section is Marin Miller's Recon. Recon is a good boy. Fuck you, fight me. <laughs> like, what what Marin does with it is they made Recon sound like this little, like, kind of dweeby, dorky little boy, and it was the most precious thing in the world, and it's like, leaf, ah! it was so cute. I just want the best for Recon. It's like, bro, it's so good, and I really, really love Marin as Recon so much. They give off wimpy boy vibes for Recon, and it just works. If you know who Recon is in real life, you kind of see him as this like dorky character, and it's so precious, and Marin does a great job with it. So, all in all, I think these performances are solid. Uh, so, uh, we, we've been pretty chill so far, but uh, this next section is uh, where we're probably going to be a lot harsher, so... Uh, it's time to talk about our main villains of SAO, and they are a lot. We've been, for the most part, somewhat critical of SAO, but we've been all giving it some props, too. Both of these characters represent the worst parts of Sword Art Online. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, firstly, we have uh, Heathcliff, who is the leader of the Knights of the Blood Oath, and seems like a pretty reasonable, if stern, boss. But in reality, he is not other than Akihiko Kayaba, the creator of Sword Art Online. And the one responsible for trapping all these players in this literal death game because of reasons he literally does not remember. He wants his floating castle. No, it's because no, of Metacritic. <laughs> <laughs> Kotaku gave him a bad review. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Too much water. Ah, uh, sure, let's go with that. 
We also have uh, Noki Yubi Sugo, who attempts to take over Wreck Progress, the company responsible for creating SAO. And uh, he kidnaps a bunch of players in order to perform experiments on their brains and sell that tech to various governments. He's also Oberon, the ruler of Alfheim Online, and then Gates Asuna, who he is also kidnapped for his experiments. And honestly, you know what? I'm not even going to dance around this. And pretty much this whole character's deal is that he wants to rape Asuna. Like, literally every time he's around her... He does sexually assault her. Yeah, he can't, yeah, he can't stop groping her or threatening to rape her. And pretty much everything about Pedomic Rapey Pants here is just kind of awful and gross. And yeah, he does see it in episode 24, which is frankly pretty grotesque and awful. And why does he do all this? He wants to be a fucking god. Why? Because I could sell science. Oh, no. Why does he do this? Because he has the tiniest dick in Japan. So, like, a thing that's worth noting about a lot of Sword Art Online, especially early Sword Art Online, it was written as, like, a webcomic when the author was a younger, less experienced writer. Because I feel like when you're dumb writer, teenager on the internet, you'll sometimes go through phases of your writing career. Can we just fucking Sugo slash Oberon is his NTR phase. And it's gross. Can we fucking just retcon Alpine, please? Uh, if only. So, hey, why don't we all just patch in the English actors who played these characters? So, uh, yeah, playing Heathcliff, we have Kevin M. Connolly. For Akiyuki Okayama, we have Mark Derison. And for Sugo, we have Todd Hammercorn. Uh, Kevin M. Connolly has played such characters as Kotoro and Bidex. Abin Osebe and Nora Rather the Yokai Clan Season 2, and Motoki Haruna from Big Windup. Mark Derison has played such characters as Tokyo Mitosaka from Fate Zero, Guns from Berserk, and just to make people angry, Rowan Ozolo from the Four Kids Dub of One Piece. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're <laughs> I was gonna mention that! <laughs> I appreciate you! Because I don't really know Mark Derison outside of fucking Four Kids One Piece! Uh, lastly, uh, Todd Habercord has played such characters as Alan Walker from The Grey Man, Shikadai Nara from Boruto Naruto Next Generations, and Natsu Dragneo from Fairy Tail. Megan, you now have the floor. Okay, so before I get into the acting, I would like to just genuinely address what I feel is Sword Art Online's one of its biggest flaws. And this is going to be a, a minor rant, but Sword Art Online has a problem of being unable to write characters, specifically villain characters, without making them into hypersexual misogynists. Except for Kaiba for some reason. Kaiba wasn't a misogynist of all things. But every minor villain that you encounter through the series is one. Like in the um the murder mystery, the guy was a crazy misogynist. What's his nut to hit the ugly tree was obsessed with keeping Asuna under control and not respecting her witches. Um the slugs. Ricky, what the fuck were you thinking? You made that guy relevant again? Fuck off! Uh the second in command of the Sylphs. Literally had to have a scene with him on a throne with, like, women chained up to his throne. And then there's fucking Oberon. You know what? I'll, I'll get him out of the way first. Todd does a very good job with this character. There is no stating how well he plays this guy dripping with oobs. There is nothing redeeming about this character. There is nothing to like about this character. But Todd puts his best over-the-top ham and cheese into the performance 
And let's be real, we all had his same oh my god Kayaba reaction to Kayaba being Kirito's fucking force ghost. Holy goddamn shit, episode 24 of Sword Art Online season 1 is one of the worst anime episodes ever fucking produced. Like, ignoring the fact that it literally takes one of the most capable female characters in an isekai ever created, but like, on so many levels, episode 24 of Sword Art Online is a aborn episode of anime. It literally pats on the back a guy who kills 4,000 people, makes him out to be somewhat sympathetic and like a good guy ally for some fucking reason. It literally takes one of the most capable female characters in an isekai, chains her up, and makes you watch her get a sexually assaulted leading into rape in the most uncomfortable take your cake and eat it too. Licking tears, like... And then... In all of this, when Kirito gets his victory, they leave her there chained up and like half fucking naked. And it's so awful. And Todd does a really good job acting through all that and acting through episode 25, where he almost gets killed for some reason and tries to kill him in real life. Kirito almost kills a man and no one ever says anything about it ever again. I mean, in that instance, can you blame him? I'm not going to blame him, but it just is very jarring because, like I said, the show is very inconsistent about Kirito's survivor guilt. Um, oh god, then there's Kayaba. So, Kayaba, I actually believe Crazy Oberon's plan more than I believe Kayaba's. Sugo, I can understand being a guy in the shadow of another dude, being jealous, and then wanting to take this technology that's under scrutiny and using it for nefarious reasons to get himself rich. I believe that. I can understand that. Kayaba, I would like to describe when Kirito goes, whoever made this game is a genius, my exact words were, citation needed. <laughs> and to be fair, Kevin M. Connolly and Mark Dryson do a good job with both sides of playing Kayaba, the helpful Heathcliff, who is, if not overbearing, but a nice guy trying to do his best to help the front lines of the game. And genuinely, making him an all-pleasant dude, he's not an over-the-top monster like Sugo and Oberon is. He's very much a deceptively nice dude, and I think that Kevin Connolly gets that in his Heathcliff performance. And Mark Dryason really does nail Kaiba's aloof, kind of weird, I don't know, I microwaved my brain and uploaded myself to the iCloud. Because remember, kids, when you're cybering on the internet, Uncle Kaiba can be over your shoulder giving you the Shinzo Abe thumbs up. <laughs> Uh, that's all I've got to say. I think all the acting in this section's really good. Just fuck the villains of this- SAO has never had a good written villain. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds about right. Uh, from what I've heard, that would sound very accurate. Anyway, I throw my ball to Steph. Uh, I'm gonna start with Kevin Connolly as Heathcliff. Because I, I always just found it very weird that there are two different actors and, and you couldn't just have, like, in this case, you couldn't have Mark Dyson just do a different voice for Heathcliff. I, okay, I feel like that would have given it away a little too easily. Let's be real here, though, Jet. They kind of rushed the end of fucking Einkrad arc, though. So would it really make a fucking difference at that point? Uh, okay, I will say they rushed the end of that arc significantly, but I will say that, like, in isolation, I do think Heathcliff and Kaiba was, like, an actually good twist. Yeah, it was everything that followed that twist that was bad. It was a good twist. Here's the other point of that whole voice thing. I'm going to lean into Elfheim on this one. 
They could have cleared up a fucking misunderstanding between Leafa and Kirito because they sound the exact same as their fucking real life people. You cannot tell me <laughs> that they can't skip that eat. They can't. Uh, this, uh, also, uh, yeah, if I did check, uh, they do have different actors in Japanese. Okay. The English decided to go the route the Japanese in. Okay. Logistically, all right. I can't be that bad, but still. I can't be that, that mad. Anyway. Kevin <laughs> Connolly as Heathcliff shows a sense of like nobility and like a regalness like he's in charge but he also seems like a kind gentle person he does mean business he wants to get things done he wants to help these players but of course we all know that that's just a lie but you can hear a slight gentleness and softness to the tone which works really nicely which I guess can make sense considering Mark DeRyson's performance as Kayaba is also fairly soft in tone Mark is both kind of gentle, but he also has, like, twinges of subtle curiosity to the performance as well. Because, like, in the beginning, we're like, I'm gonna do this because I'm just wanting to see what happens kind of deal or whatever bullshit excuse he had at the beginning. But as time goes on, um, he has shows more of a somber tone. It actually works because he's not tired necessarily, but you can kind of sense that it's like, okay... I've been doing this for two years, and now I I don't know, like, I don't know why I'm doing this anymore. And you can kind of hear it, and I think it works from Mark DeRyson. And I, I'm just happy to talk about Mark DeRyson because my childhood is calling me right now. Fucking- Your childhood murdered 4,000 people! My childhood was a goddamn swordsman who likes to use three fucking swords and do the one piece rap, alright? But, um, goddammit. it! I, I wish we could talk about Mark DeRyson more often. He's usually relegated to secondary characters nowadays, which kind of sucks. He's a good actor. He's a lot of fun, honestly. Um, if there is a high compliment I can give someone for a villain performance, it's this. I want to fucking punt Oberon into the sun. He can fuck off. Fucking hell, Todd Habercorn, why? <laughs> oh, God. Todd Habercorn did a really good job being a slimy piece of shit that I wanted to see, like, have the worst possible things happen to him in, in all sorts of ways and also be reincarnated to have more awful things happen to a character over and over again. We'll pull the re-zero card on this one. <laughs> okay, it says a lot that he literally gets his limbs cut off and I thought that, man, he should have gotten much worse. Bro, he also got stabbed in the face and I still think he deserves much worse than that. First of all, one, he should have been castrated. Yes, first of all. But no, like, oh my god. For me, it's always high praise for a performance when I can say, I hate this fucking character, I want to punt it to the sun. I've said this about a few different characters and performances before, and Todd is nope's exception on this one. Um, or should I say his royal highness Todd fucking Habercorn, goddammit. HABERCORN! Um, <laughs> Habercorn! <laughs> but, um, yo, like... Todd both hams it up to like the nth degree and chews some of that scenery, but also makes it the most skeezy, creepy fucking thing in the world. But um, I fully believe that Todd had a stupid fun time with this role because it shows. But no, I, I do like all these performances, but fuck 
Todd Abercorn, fuck you, but also in the nicest way possible because fuck Oberon. <laughs> I'm done. Okay, Andrew. Um, Kevin Connolly. Good job, tough leader guy. Mark Derison's got a very cool voice, very suave voice. The engoodening of Akihiko Kayaba throughout the entirety of SAO Season 1 is never not going to be fucking weird to me. It reminds me of that one young Wen Lee quote from Legend of Galactic Heroes where it's like, you've killed millions of people, but you've at least made me happy. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, the point I wanted to make earlier, the end of Aincrad feels like a Shonen Jump manga that got cancelled. Yeah, it does. It literally feels like you have literally spoiled the plot 25 chapters early, and, like, we are just doing the end game now. But, yeah, no, uh, Mark and Kevin are good. Todd does a good job being a giant piece of human garbage in SAO. Fuck, he is a slimy douche nozzle, Christ almighty. Sugo's disgusting. Sugo's despicable. It's almost cartoonishly evil, the level where it's like, I'm gonna smell your girl's hair and get a stiffy, bro. <sighs> it's like literally NTR cartoonish. We were raised together. It's okay. She hated me back then, but that only made me want her more. It's like, oh God, get the fuck out of here. Please, get help. Stop it. Uh, and the best part is, he does all this literally within, like, a minute of his introduction. Oh yeah, no, it's fucking gross. I'll say this, as cathartic as the violent beatdown was in 24, I actually felt like 25's was a little more interesting, because I'm like, oh, what happens if Kirito actually did get in a fucking knife fight in the real world? How would that turn out? And it turned out pretty badly. But it's also making me realize, boy, they really should have committed a little more to whether Kirito was hardcore traumatized. Asuna was probably pretty traumatized. That's literally sexual violence. These kids are fucking traumatized. They've been traumatized for their entire adolescence. That would fuck you up into adulthood. Anyways, uh, Todd does a good job being a slimy piece of human garbage. Fucking Oberon is such a goddamn piece of shit character. Like... SAO Aincrad was better than I remembered. I feel like Alfheim is somehow worse than I remembered it. As somebody who has watched all three seasons of SAO, bar none. Still the worst arc of SAO by a country mile. I'm done. Okay, Brute. I, I think I'll get through Oberon pretty quickly. Um, Todd played him as a total slime bag. It was exactly what the character needed and the catharsis at the end of the Alfheim arc was well-deserved. Um, I really don't have much more to say about that. Um, one piece of Kevin Connolly and Mark Dreisen's performance that I have to give very unusual props to is I figured out the twist with Heathcliff pretty early because... Kevin Connolly played the avatar of Heathcliff incredibly similar to um, how Mark Dreisen played the big avatar in the first episode. Yeah, that does very much sound like a detail I thought David would have gone on to. Like, imitating Kayaba's personality and just sort of the, the vocal tics of the character. Um, I actually figured out fairly early in Heathcliff's introduction who exactly he was and... You know, story-wise, that kind of sucks. 
But from the perspective of reviewing the dub of the series, um, I actually think that's kind of cool. So, yeah, he plays Heathcliff with sort of the paternal side of Kayaba's personality, and then Mark Dereisen is just sort of this devoid, detached side of him. Even when he shows up again in episode 24 to remind Kirito that you broke my game, do it again. Um, anyway, I like all three of the performances. Solid thumbs up. Okay, so I'll start with uh, Kevin M. Connolly as Heathcliff. I thought he did a good job of sounding very knightly and heroic and had enough charisma to assume that you could kind of get a general sense for why people would follow him. And he did a good job of sounding like a very stern but reasonable boss. He wasn't even that much of a jerk about letting Kirito and Asuna get some time off, so he's better than most employers in that respect. So again, it's not certain if he was directed to sound like Mark Dereisen, but it does seem like the sort of thing Alex von Damon would probably do. And if that was intentional, then it definitely worked because he did a really good job of matching his tone well enough that they transitioned off of each other pretty seamlessly, and it definitely made the reveal with Heathcliff a lot more effective. I also kind of like that he maintained this kind of weirdly sort of demeanor even when he was revealed to be Kaiba. And, you know, it just kind of sounded like he was messing around in his own game, but in a sort of unhinged way. And even though it is kind of like a very silly line, it, I think there's a way that when he's like stabbing Kirito and he just says game over, that was kind of chilling in a way. And I thought that uh, Kevin's delivery there was really good. Mark Dereisen as Kayaba. Again, there's kind of like this very historic and almost kind of serene quality to Mark's performance that I really liked and it kind of made Kayaba sound like appropriately detached from reality. And while, you know, him not remembering why he decided to make a death game was very stupid, uh, Mark's delivery, when Kaiba kind of monologued about his childhood dream and whatnot, was pretty good. And then it gets to some of the Alfheim stuff. Kaiba's ghost saving the day in Alfheim was some straight nonsense, but Mark did a really good job of kind of getting character to step up. Being like, where was all your boxing when you beat me? Like, you, you can take this stuff, come on. So I thought Mark was pretty good there. Again, it is extremely weird to make this character into any kind of neutral presence, considering how many people he killed, but... I can give it a slight pass for Alphine in the sense that, like, previous arc villain telling the hero to, like, step up and defeat the current arc villain. It's like, okay, you see that sort of thing in other shonen, you can kind of give that a pass. The fact that he shows up beyond that is like, why? But again, just in general, the whole no motivation thing is just really weird. Like, again, you know, I mean, I don't want to, like, tell someone else how to write their story, but it feels like Kawahara could have just very easily fixed this by just making him some weirdo gay developer with a god complex who wanted to make his own virtual reality and wanted to make other people experience it. Like, it would have solved all the nonsense in episode 14, and it would have tied it with the whole virtual reality theme. Like, it was really obvious. I don't know why you just didn't give him any motivation. It's weird. We had no time to explain. Just use my Force Ghost. Here, kid, here's my admin password. Have fun. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Todd Howard with Bethesda. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and uh, Todd Habricorn is Oberon. Uh, he did absolutely everything about this character. Again, uh, pretty much every scene of him groping Asuna in some way was really, really, really freaking gross. And especially episode 24 was really despicable in the way. And honestly, as like, bad as the material is, the fact that that scene lingered just frankly made it worse, and that is definitely on the anime team, so like... I don't know why y'all would do that, but that was nasty. Fuck y'all. Like, even as a straight dude, I'm like, that was just nasty. Like, why? Uh, sorry, but yeah, it, it just really felt like total misery porn. And again, while he did get, like, some hefty comeuppance, like, he had so much screen time being gross and awful, there was basically no fate Kawahara could have given him that would have, frankly, made his presence feel worth it. 
there's a reason why you don't give these kinds of characters a lot of screen time. Like, there's a reason why the fact dude in the head tie gets killed off pretty quickly. Like, I just want to see that person get some quick comeuppance and then just kind of move on. Every second that sort of character is on screen just feels gross and awful, and the more you prolong it, the more gross and awful it feels, and the more it just kind of drags down the show by extension. Kind of like what happened here. Uh, the times for all that, Todd's performance was perfectly fine. He did a really good job of making this dude sound despicable. But I can't even say that it was like, okay, he did a really good job of making me hate the character because the writing already kind of did that job. So, if anything, Todd's performance is kind of intensified by hate, which I guess is a compliment, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, I just really hate this character. And uh, with that, we're finally out of this nightmare. So, uh, heading into the home stretch. Let's talk about some of our Major League Hero members. Are you sure we're out of the nightmare considering what we have next? Okay, uh, well, this is uh, okay, well, this isn't as bad. Okay, uh, It's not as bad, but we're not out of Do you want to bang yet. your brother? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we have, we have some of our Major League Hero members, well, kind of, sort of, considering we're these two factories specifically. But they are important, so here we are. Uh, we've got Yui, a mysterious little girl who carried to an Asuna meet and adopted Aincrad, who turns out to be an AI created in order to maintain the mental health of players in SAO. So of course he got completely locked out of the system by Kaiba for a while, because you know, who needs good mental health in a death game? Uh, we also have Leafa, aka Tsukuna Kirihaya, who is one of the self players at L5 and is also Kirito's younger sister. But in reality, the two of them are cousins, and she really, really wants to get in this band, so yeah, here's a dramatic incest. So, uh, playing Yui, we have Stephanie Shea, and for Leafa, we have Cassandra Lee Morris. Now, Stephanie Shea has played such characters as Orihima Inoue in Bleach, Susie Q in Joseph's Bizarre Adventure, and Cream in Tiger and Bunny. Cassandra Lee Morris has played such characters as Yubel from Yu-Gi-Oh! GX. Taika Isaka from Toradora, and Rebecca Lu Rosalini from Lupin the Third Part 4. Okay, uh, Roots, you wanna go? Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll start with Cassandra Lee Morris's Leafa. Um, I like how Sugaha has a little bit of a Sundere side to her. Um, particularly, I can't remember when exactly it is that she realizes, um, Kirito is, um, is Kazuto, her brother. She says to him, I think, like, in episode 20 or something, my first love broke my heart or something. Okay, so it was basically when they had that one conversation, and that, that blew up into the argument. Which I think is my favorite point of Suguha's character. Her Sundere wall just gets absolutely ripped down, because she was trying to get over the fact that she had feelings for Kazuto, and whoops... Uh-oh, the guy in the VR MMO she's playing that she kind of has feelings for also happens to be him. Awkward! But I think she did that the duality of the character very, very well. I saved Stephanie Shea and Yui for last because I made a very bad joke. In the middle of Alfheim, Yui says a line to Leafa when she's trying to figure out the relationship between uh, Kirito and Yui. And she's just like, he's not my master, he's my daddy. Show no. No, bad. Phrasing, Alex, phrasing. You just appear in the director's booth with a spray bottle going, no, think about what you did, put your nose in it. Daddy, stop, that's annoying. Oh my god. Don't poke me, daddy. Stop it. <laughs> Andrew, no, go in the corner. Don't make me actually get out the spray bottle, Andrew. Getting back into it. 
I do kind of like that Stephanie Shea was able to give um, Yui sort of a very young childlike personality. She's very playful with every character she interacts with. She has a deep love for Asuna and Kirito, a.k.a. Mommy and Daddy. I'm gonna be real with you, 57th Prime Minister of Japan Shinzo Abe. This ain't doing nothing to solve that declining birth rate. Um, but I thought it was great. I thought both characters were really well done. Um, I'm gonna give this a solid thumbs up. Okay, uh, Steph. I'm actually gonna start with Stephanie Shea as Yui. Stephanie is sweet and adorable. When Yui first appears, she's kind of just very, very childish. Because Yui has no fucking memory as to who she is or what she does. She's like, I don't know where I am. I don't know what this is. Stephanie makes Yui very cute and adorable and fun. And even when she remembers what she is and what purpose she actually serves, she's still cutesy and adorable because this is essentially a little girl. But um, she has a little bit of sass to her sometimes. She has her fun little sassy moments. It's actually a lot of fun. And I love how she's paired with um, Leafa here because there was a moment where Leafa needed to log off for a couple minutes. And she's like, now Yui, will you protect my body for me? And Kirito's like, what? Why? <laughs> oh, I'm just making sure you don't do anything to me. <laughs> Yui's like, you got it. <laughs> Yui can be, has her little sassy moments and Stephanie's a lot of fun. She's very cutesy and adorable and I liked it. Um, Cassandra Lee Morris. So Cassandra at first glance for Sugaha seems mature for her age, which makes sense given what little information we do get early on in the show from um, Kirito uh, about his sister. But Cassandra does also offer a little bit of like a youthful energy to her as well, which is a lot of fun. I enjoy that. And as Leafa, I feel like Cassandra has a lot more confidence and spunk to the performance. Because Leafa is very much a no-nonsense, no-bullshit kind of person. Granted, the purpose of Leafa's character is just to basically replace Asuna for like 12 episodes. But I think it still works rather well because she has this energy. She, she has this really great banter with Kirito and um, this fun dynamic as well that eventually kind of grows into a brother-sister dynamic in the game, not just in real life, even though Sugaha has conflicting feelings about her brother. But I think Cassandra does very, very well. Weirdly enough, I think Cassandra, I think, is one of my favorite performances in the show itself, <laughs> despite Sugaha not being the greatest written character in the show. I think Cassandra had a lot of fun, and I really love the performance of it. Okay, Megan. So, bless Cassandra Lee Morris's heart. She is giving the best performance in the show, honestly. And she's got to work with some of the worst fucking material. I can understand having... This is actually really compelling character drama stuff. I'm not going to say that. That it's not. The problem is, is that it wants me to take this seriously when she is literally holding an idiot ball for, like, a lot of episodes. Because, frankly, this arc is really badly written. His avatar literally looks like him with bedhead! They made an entire sequence at the beginning of that arc where they have a fucking fight with each other and she notes how weird his sword stance is! Yeah, and she doesn't put it together until fucking episode 23. My other thing is too for the whole Alfheim thing. Did like none of them realize that that name should have been infamous as the Sword Art Online Clearer? Sugo knew who he was! How does he know who it is, and nobody else? You'd think that'd be all over the fucking news! Yeah, you'd think the name Kirito would be popular. Yeah, you'd think that would definitely be all over the internet by that point. Also, B, you would have thought that the 
their household! Ah! Bless Cassandra Morris's heart. She is putting her all into this. And it's really well done. You genuinely sympathize with Leafy of having feelings that are forbidden, which, frankly, I would have rathered this as a childhood friend thing. Because if they were childhood friends and Asuna was now this girl that he's basically committed his life to and Kirito, he is a very faithful boyfriend. That I am not going to knock him for. Like, having them as the childhood friend thing, I think would have worked better than them being, we're not siblings, we're cousins. I would have 100% rooted for her if she was the childhood friend. Oh, you know, if you wanted to keep her as a sister, it could have just been like, okay, she found out Kirito wasn't her real brother and she doesn't know how to feel around him now. Like, that could have worked perfectly. Yeah, that worked well, because that's what Kirito went through. Like, there are so many ways that they could have made Leafia just as compelling without having to have the whole, like, they're cousins from down south. And like I said, Cassandra Morris nails it. She's got the right amount of spunk. She's got a, the right amount of empathy in her voice. You genuinely feel for her and you're rooting for her. Honestly, I felt more inclined to root for Leafia because I felt like she was a better developed character. But they had to weigh her down with the concrete blocks of Siston. And Stephanie Shea is an adorable Yui. To me, Yui is very much a satellite character. It's cutesy, it's fun, it's got the drama heartsy pull thing, but like, let's be real. The whole Yui arc comes out of fucking nowhere. Last two episodes, it makes zero sense. Here's the thing, I feel like the Yui arc would have been fine if it was just like a one-off thing. Or if they would have taken the time and actually, you know, made Einkrad 24 fucking episodes, it could have been developed better. Yes! Thank you! Take out Elfheim, extend Einkrad, you could have more time to develop everything! And then Stephanie Shea does a really great job. There's nothing I can really complain about her there. She's a phenomenal actress. And she's doing her best uh, stuff here. And that's all I can really say other than my other favorite Cassandra Lee blooper in SAO. Leafia, what's wrong? I'm horny! <laughs> <laughs> okay, Andrew, you wanna go? Alright, I'll start with Stephanie Shea. Uh, Stephanie Shea does a very good job. She's adorable. A very good little child daughter thing, which I feel like when I was younger, I was like, ah, oh, it's stupid that this teenager would be so into, like, raising this fake little child. Now that I am older, I realize, eh, sometimes you can have fun with that. It's like, I don't see anime characters as, I want to date them or want to bang. I'm like, oh no, this is precious child now. I love them. I want to make sure they grow big and strong. I have, like, 15, 16 anime children that I fucking adopted into my family. Would you like to tell the viewers about Tiger Sun? Tiger Sun! Oh, Atashi. So. Atashi! I was gonna say, Yui's a very advanced Neopet if you think about it. <laughs> but yeah, no, Tiger Sun is basically a little stuffed tiger doll I got for Steph, like, stuffed plushie. He's a white tiger, so that's why his name is Atsushi. We call him Tiger Sun, though. And then she sleeps with him every night. Why are you embarrassing me like this? The point I'm making is... Having Bro. that little fake little pseudo like kid and stuff is Bro, why are you genuine. embarrassing me like this? The point I'm saying is I don't think it's as like absurd of this sort of like little pseudo couple relationship having like a attachment to a child that they want to raise and like enjoy. That's not too crazy to me. I think I that was a bigger criticism when I was a kid. I was like, oh, why would this dumb teenager get like so attached and start getting really into a kid they haven't met? It's like, oh. Oh, so that's what it's like. Anyways, Cassandra Lee Morris, 
She is the best fucking performance in this dub, and that makes me so fucking angry. <laughs> that makes me so yes. fucking angry. Cassandra Morris is the best performance in this fucking dub, and it's for fucking Leafa and Suguha. I like her. She's sweet. She's cute. She's Leafa's pretty fucking hot. They like to show her ass as well. <laughs> Tonight, the writer's barely disguised fetish. <laughs> oh my god, just... Cassandra's so good. She sells the hard drama of the heartbreak. But, ah, uh, It's not only that it's frustrating and disappointing that it's, we're spending all this time on a fetishized, uh, cis-con, actually cousin-con relationship or forbidden love, but the fact that there's literal drama that, like, Asuna is being held hostage by a rapist and then we have to divulge from that drama because the sister's sad about her feelings it seems so ridiculously frustrating it's like the liar reveal but it was like a train wreck you saw coming and it was so stupid and aggravating like i would have liked to have actually seen them discover that they were indeed who they were early on and then seeing the brother-sister relationship form as they're bonding through video games, something she's never gotten to bond with him over because that was kind of what he fell into when he didn't know he belonged in a family. Like, I would have liked that dynamic. I would have liked to see them either brother-sister or her being an actual childhood friend who was in love with him instead of a fucking cousin. Cassandra Lee Morris is the best voice in this dub and I'm so angry. Fuck! He's storming off for some reason. And so, I guess while we wait for him to come back, I'll go real quick. Uh, Sonic with Stephanie Shea's Yui, I thought he sounded really cute and adorable. I thought Stephanie sounded like maybe a little older than Asuna for like her first couple of lines, but she was eventually able to make Yui sound like a child, so it definitely worked out. I definitely liked a lot of her scenes. I thought the scene with like her, Kirito, and Asuna having one together was like really cute and... Stephanie's delivery there, and her reactions felt very childlike. And I thought she did a pretty good job, you know, shifting gears and sounding more serious for Yui's big reveal, while also maintaining the childlike quality of the performance. And again, I, I thought that Stephanie did a pretty good job with, like, the whole reveal with Yui being an AI, and I thought uh, that reveal was pretty reasonable, even if the whole mental care thing was kind of a little contrived. But uh, if there's one thing that sucked about that, it's something we haven't brought up until now. It is the fact that Kirito was able to temporarily hack SAO systems to save her data, which is some straight-up nonsense. Because implying that he could do that, even for a few seconds, kind of uh, brings up a lot of questions. Like, if he could hack into the admin, even for a few seconds, why did he lock himself and Asuna out of the game? What was stopping him? the fuck knows this show isn't exactly written very well i mean again like i would say before i definitely would have liked the ue stuff a lot better if it was just a one-off thing she was a one-off character and she maybe stayed dead which sounds kind of horrible to say but it feels like it would have worked better uh but anyway i mean she's still here and i mean i was at least like slightly amused by some of her antics there I thought that her calling out Kirito for inadvertently flirting with other girls when he was supposed to be busy saving Asuna was pretty funny. Yes. <laughs> Again, sassy Yui's great. Yeah, it's like, you have mommy, what are you doing? <laughs> and uh, getting into considerable Lee Morris's Suguha and Leafa. Uh, she did a pretty good job of sounding very casual and occasionally sassy as Leafy. Uh, 
did a really good job of bouncing off of Kirito in spite of, you know, everything. I thought they had a pretty decent dynamic. And conversely, Suguha, I thought she sounded a lot more serious and reserved, and I thought she did a pretty good job of, like, distinguishing the two characters. And while, again, everything about the incest subplot was terrible, I thought that Cassandra did a really good job of portraying the struggle, and she sounded really believable, and her dramatic shots were great. Uh, best dramatic scene for her was, like, definitely when she realized that Kirito and Kazuto were the same person and broke down. Her delivery there was really strong, and I definitely have to give Cassandra some serious trials for how sincere the performance sounded. You know, in spite of, again, the scene being about how much he wants to back her cousin. But yeah, like I'm also saying, Cassandra was basically the best performance in the dub. She deserved so, so much better than this. I'm glad she's gotten to play better anime girls like Rebecca and Lupin. But uh, yeah, she did a good job here. And uh, with that, it's time to talk about our final characters of the evening, our main duo. Yay! The Black, so the black Swordsman and the... Lightning Flash. Coincidentally, that's what happens to Kirito when he's inside also. <laughs> that's it, uh, oh, God. Two and a half years worth of semen. I had to get that out there at least once, I guess. Uh, so anyway, for our final characters, we have Kazuto Kirigaya, better known as Kirito, and Asuna Yuki. Uh, Kirito is a skilled solo player who's kind of a loader and tries to keep his distance from other players at SAO. And Asuna is another SAO player who initially joins the Knights of the Blood Oath, but after working with him on a few missions, he gets pretty close to Kirito, and the two of them end up falling in love. Yeah, so playing Kirito, we have one Bryce Pappenbrook, and for Asuna, we have Charmy Lee. Uh, at this point, if you paid attention to anime and watched like, pretty much any anime dubbed at all during the last decade or so, odds are pretty high you've heard of Bryce Pappenbrook. But specifically, he's played such characters as Rin Okamura and Blue Exorcist, Shira Emiya and Fate Say Night Unlimited Blade Works, Eren did absolutely everything wrong, Jaeger and Attack on Titan, and just a mix things up, Jack from Mare, Martin Awakens Romance, because I remember that show. Uh, and uh, Charmy Lee, you've also probably heard of just about everything for the last second and a half, but specifically has played such characters as Irie Katagiri and Erased, Cadelia on a Birdside and Mobile Suit Gun Blooded Orphans, Lucy Hartfilia from Fairy Tale, and Noi from Norhidoro. Was she the one of the girls who fucked the dude in the cockpit in IVO? No, she's a princess. Okay, no, you know what? Megan is right because the main character of IBO is basically a polygamy. <laughs> I love winning via technicalities! It means I go first! By the way, if you don't know, Something Witty Entertainment did a one-hour reading of SAO Chapter 16 and a half. I'm sad that we lost the recording for personal reasons. We got Amon to dramatically read it, and I think that night... Andrew, was it me, you, and Jet who were on the couch? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Us all collectively curling up into a ball as Amon read it. You were getting comfy for a fireside story. Yeah, comfy. Nothing's more comfortable than curling up on yourself like a cockroach. So, let me do this first. I'll talk about Jeremy as Asuna. Because, God, Asuna gets done so fucking dirty in Alpha. Fuck that arc. Jeremy does such a good job as Asuna, and I can tell she has a lot of fun playing Asuna, and it comes through in her performance. Like, you can definitely feel for her. I think that she does a pretty good job. I think, obviously, as the material gets stronger for Asuna in particular, she does a better job. But I did really like the performance, and I, I genuinely would sit through at least Mother's Rosario knowing that Jeremy gets to do shit. And it's very compelling. And now, for something I never thought I was ever going to do in my life, the defensive Kazuya... 
Kirito. Kirito is not a Gary Stew. He is actually a character that has a lot going on, but the writing and direction of the show does not do him justice. Because you realize that he is not a loner because he chooses to be one, like as a dumb, edgy 15-year-old. He chooses to do it because he finds out that he's adopted by accident. The show does go out of its way to present later on that Kirito was smart enough to build his own computer at 6, and he hacked into the National Registry at 10, and he accidentally found out that he was adopted, and that his family that he thought was his blood and flesh were not actually his family, and as somebody else who is adopted, that is something that every kid reacts differently to. And there is a sense of guilt or feeling like you are not really part of that family. So he turned to gaming not because he was an angry little edgelord, but because it gave him a safe place to feel like he could be someone else and hide how he was really feeling. And he has a hard time connecting to others because of those feelings. He's not a loner to be an edgelord loner, even though he puts on that act knowing that it will keep others safe. He doesn't know how to handle that yet. And that is something that it's not easy to get over because he expected that he could walk up to somebody and say, tell me who you really are. And he fully admits that, no, that was wrong. He can't just go ask people who they really are because in the end, spending time with those people is what's actually going to show what they are on the inside. And I think that Bryce does a really good job playing this character. A lot of people like to shit on Bryce Pappenbrook, but he is fantastic in this. Does Kirito always have the best material? Not really, but that's because the series' writing is very fucking inconsistent. There are times where Kirito has guilt over killing people, and then there are other times where he just gleefully fucking murders a bunch of people because there's actually no player kill penalty. And he opens up with the fact that he's starting to get some anger issues. He's a really complicated guy deep down, but a lot of people like to say, oh, he's a Gary Stu because he always wins his way out of stuff. No, he doesn't. He technically loses to Heathcliff. Like, that final battle is a tie. He also, side note, failed in the, um, World Tree Tower. Yeah, he fails the first time. And he only gets out because Leafia goes in and bails his ass out. So, yeah, I did think in spite of everything that was going on with that arc, the fact that he actually needed friends to help him out, I thought was... Yeah. I, I thought that tied it to his character arc pretty well, even if I wish it happened under better circumstances. Yeah, his arc is about him opening up and making bonds with people because he finally finds his place in the world. And I think that there is something admirable about Sword Art Online's constant the friends that you make on the internet are just as real and as good and culpable in real life. And there is stuff, spoilers for season 3, where they do address that these characters have traumatic stress disorder. Even when they come out, they are isolated from their peers. They have to go to a specialized school only for other people who survived SAO. Hell, not even, like, for their benefit, but because they want to study what that would do to right. kids. Right. They want to keep an eye yeah, on them. Yeah, it's not even of their own thing. Like, they get questioned by the government all the time. Hell, like, that's one of the things I really wanted to compliment about SAO because I genuinely forgot about it. There were actual young children stuck in that. It fucked kids up. Like I said, I think Bryce does a great job acting this all out. I know a lot of people like to shit on Bryce because they think he's a bad actor, which is a falsehood. I can get that his voice is distinct, but there is something that I've always wanted to say, which is just because an actor has a distinct voice does not mean they are a bad voice actor. It's just that they have a distinct voice. Anyway, I think I've gotten all my points out, so... Cool. Uh, Andrew. Fuck, I have to follow that. <laughs> Damn, okay. 
That was amazing. I just don't know how to reply. But basically, Kirito is fine. He's a decent dude. I don't know if it was because Kirito is a better character than I remembered, or if it's just the fact that I've become a little more endeared to the fact that he is just kind of an okay vanilla bean dude. He's whatever. He's kind of a dork, and he actually kind of gets some cool moments in the future. Bryce Pappenbrook does a great job giving him a lot of character, a lot of complexity, a lot of good action moments, a lot of good sorrow drama moments. You feel his pain and anguish sometimes. Like, I genuinely felt for, like, his emotions of, like, like losing Asuna and, like, scared of, like, dying and losing her. Like, the touching reunion scene in the hospital is great and Bryce sells it all. Again, I will say that is one of the things where it's, like, completely divorced from Alphine. That scene of them reuniting would have been really good. But no, Bryce does a great job as Kirito, and I think Cherami as Asuna is amazing. I think she's really sweet, she's really sassy, really funny and silly, but also really touching and emotional. Like, you can feel that level of intimacy when, like, she is with him, and it really shows. I love every scene of, of her getting to be herself in Alfheim. Okay, God, I forgot how dirty the show does her in Alfi. My <sighs> God, it is so dirty. It is. Yeah, I'm not saying it would have, like, made the arc better, but I feel like you could have at least let her get one shake in on Suigo, like. Yeah, what the fuck? Why didn't you let her take him out, you assholes? She was right fucking there to push the button. She was right fucking there to push the logout button. She could have used her finger. She could have used her fucking toe. Like, it's not even like she got caught when she reached the console. It's no. She's literally about to push the fucking button. <sighs> Jeremy Lee is delightful. She's charming. She's fucking cool, badass, sweet. I really like Bryce. I really like Jeremy. They do a fantastic job as Kirino and Asuna, and you know what? They're actually pretty goddamn cute together, and I actually think they're a pretty good couple. Okay, uh... Steph. Uh, I'm gonna start with Cherami as Asuna. If there's anything we all- I've learned about Cherami, she plays a badass rather well. Asuna is in that camp of badasses, similar to fucking Noe from Doro, And maybe to some extent Lucy from Fairytale, maybe. Like, Jeremy has played her fair share of badasses, and Asuna can fall into that camp. She can. Jeremy as Asuna is very strong-willed and very tough, tough badass kind of person. But she has softer moments. You, you kind of see very early on that she can be rather quiet and kind of keep to herself. Because when we're introduced to her, she and um, Kirito partner up just out of happenstance because everybody else had already formed a party and the two of them are just solo players. <laughs> and like she was just very like standoffish and quiet and had like walls built up at the time. But like over time, she not only becomes a lot more confident in her skills and her capabilities, but she becomes a lot more comfortable as well. Especially some of those more um, intimate moments that she has with Bryce as Kirito. I actually really like those moments. I feel like the two of them have a really solid dynamic and back and forth with each other, both as romantic leads and also as teammates, as, as partners, because they look out for each other. And then going into Bryce, I might just age myself heavily from this. Y'all, I went from Baby Vash the Stampede and Trigun when I was a child. To fucking Kirito in like 2013. What the fuck? 
Nowadays, people will throw in the argument of, well, this guy again? Why? Why him? Listen, if you say that about Sword Art Online, this predates Titan. This predates fucking Staz Charlie Blood and Blood Live, which is personally one of my fucking favorite Bryce Pappenbrook roles. This predates Anosuke from Demon Slayer. This predates fucking Shiro Emiya. <laughs> like, while Sword Art is not the greatest show in the world, and when I first watched the show and when I first watched the dub, I was not the biggest fan. At that time, I was just very much sore about the show itself. That My brain probably didn't give the dub itself a fair enough chance because of it. But almost like a decade later, coming back to it, Kirito is not a bad character. He's not a god-awful character. There are worse isekai protagonists out there nowadays. Like The bar has been set way low. You needed to raise the bar, but yet these other protagonists brought a shovel. Pretty much. But Bryce's performance, like, even though the show and the character may not be written extremely well, there is some actually really solid material that Bryce got to work with. Megan brought up a whole spiel about, like, dealing with being adopted and how he copes with that. And then there's also, even though the show conveniently likes to throw it in when it fucking wants to, there is the survivor's guilt, there is the PTSD, there's his insecurities that he can't save everyone. There are these moments where he becomes completely vulnerable. You see it when he first talks to um, Suguha. You see it after he finally saves Asuna. Like, he breaks down, he shows that vulnerability. Even though the character itself may not be written extremely well, Bryce really, I think, captivates Kirito from the get-go. And I think it's very, very solid, honestly. So. Okay, that reads. Alright, so... First and foremost, Bryce and Jeremy are absolute dorks as Kirito and Asuna, and I absolutely love it. I think Bryce also does a bit more of a service to Kirito's survivor's guilt and PTSD than sometimes the show does itself. Um, also, Asuna was absolutely done dirty, and Jeremy is an absolute trooper. I particularly like, first and foremost, the stuff at the lake house, where they actually have a bunch of couple banter. I actually really like where he puts her on his shoulders and stuff. That's actually pretty cute. Yo, the bit where he goes fishing and like Asuna runs off with the rest of the crowd. And Dude, save your wife. Nah, she's got this. <laughs> I like that dynamic a it's lot. so good. But um, another funny story. I had done this continuous back and forth when I got to that point in the show of, um, oh yeah, they fucking. And then update, they not fucking. Oh yeah, that's right. Update. They fucking. Oh, no, wait. <laughs> they fucking. And then at the point where they ended up, you know, consummating their relationship, my plan was to put in um, another update. I was just going to put a gif of a train pulling into a tunnel. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, train, train. Train, train. It fit. Anyway, for individual scenes, I like the sort of interactions uh, Kirito had with his first guild. And obviously, the stuff that ended up leading to his survivor's guilt, um, I thought that was all really well done. And then um, Jeremy's first encounter with Kirito, where they're sort of in the back of the dungeon raid party, trying not to attract attention to themselves. But they end up doing it anyway, because they, as much as they're trying to stay out of the crowd, they're sticking out like a sore thumb. Uh, anyway, I thought these two were actually really good in their roles. Solid thumbs up. 
Okay, alright, so I guess I'll start with uh, Jeremy Lee as Asuna. I thought Jeremy displayed like a really strong emotional rage for her. She did a really good job of being able to flip from being sweet and sassy to like really protective on a dime. That was really well done. I actually really liked a lot of her early dynamic with Kirito and how uh, he kind of gets her to loosen up a bit and maybe find a little bit of enjoyment in their new reality. Like, I like the scene with the two of them taking a nap under a tree was pretty good and how he kind of like gets her to maybe see the bright side of their situation a little more. I thought that scene was pretty good. I was really impressed by her delivery during the scene where she accidentally helps Kiri Doken at murder and the two of them oh, decide no. to stick together. I thought she really sold how like heartfelt but also kind of screwed up that whole moment was. So yeah, Dawson and Cern far better than what Alphine gave her. But I definitely gotta give Jeremy some props for soldiering through that whole little deal with her performance. And uh, while the character may not have totally come out intact, uh, Jeremy's performance definitely did, so really gotta give her some props for that. And while Cassandra was uh, definitely the best performance in the dub for me, I feel like Jeremy comes in a pretty close second. And then uh, Bryce Fapper Rook is Harry Toe. Again, I ended up liking Kirito a lot more during this rewatch than I was expecting to. I thought that Bryce did a really good job of selling Kirito as a very disaffected loner early on, and now he's kind of afraid to open up to people. And I also thought Bryce did a really good job of getting across the whole survivor skill Kirito was carrying in news earlier episodes, and I thought that was really well done. He had some pretty good chemistry with Jeremy's Asuna. I thought they bounced off each other pretty well in terms of both being partners and having a good couple dynamic when they're in the cabin in the woods. And again, I also liked how being around Asuna kind of helped Kirito to, you know, let his guard down a little bit and he sounded a lot more relaxed. And I actually thought, you know, while Bryce is definitely known for being shouty a lot of the time, I thought of a lot of his best acting moments in this dub were definitely a lot of the quieter scenes. Like again, going back to Saucy's episode where he was trying to very softly reassure her that she wouldn't die, or when Kirito decides to finally open up to Asuna about what happened to his party. I thought that Bryce's very quiet delivery in those scenes was really good. I also really liked his delivery during the scene where he and Asuna are supposedly in the afterlife after defeating Kaiba and he breaks down after seemingly falling to Saber. I thought that whole scene was pretty heartfelt even if it was. Kind of all undone by some dude sex mucking and nonsense because it is literally never explained why those two got brought back to life. Kaiba's like, wait, 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 no, those two showed me what love is and I don't want my ship to die. Let him go back. <laughs> ah! I ship it! Kaiba, no, 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 I want to see where this goes. <laughs> Yeah, because I have to say, those two were definitely dead, so... <laughs> uh, they, they were dead, but they got better. Todd Howard here to say I ship Asuna and Kirito, so I'm putting them in my next Skyrim. Okay, but uh, anyway, getting back to the performance. While the climax at Alfheim was gross and awful, I thought Bryce's Obery when he was getting broken by Oberon was pretty good, and while I can't say I felt anything... I thought that Bryce's performance was pretty good when Kirito, like, finally turned the tables and all that. And I also thought that, like, in isolation, the scene with him almost going to go to the parking lot had some pretty strong acting chops for Bryce. I thought his delivery there was pretty good. And I especially like how that contrasted with his very, like, quiet delivery when he finally reunites with Austin at the hospital. I thought that, like, was some of the best emotional acting he had to dub. And, yeah, overall, both of these performances were really strong. Again, I wish Asuna got some better material, especially for the second half, but overall, these are some performances, and I'm getting tired, so let's quickly move on to final thoughts. Go ahead, Roots. Honestly, I'm going to keep this kind of brief. Um, revisiting this show after like a decade, 
I've kind of softened my stance on it a little bit. I mean, for one thing, we have obviously had a lot worse in terms of dark fantasy. Let's be real. You know, redo of Healer is now a thing. Um, and as much as I liked it, so was Goblin Slayer. Uh, the dub here is probably one of the best of its time. Other than a couple hiccups with the casting, it is all impeccably set up. I don't know if I would actually full-on recommend the show, though, only because um, I think we're up to, like, 100 episodes now, more or less. Yeah, I feel like if you're going to recommend a show, be like, watch Ironcred. If you really, really, really want to watch more for whatever reason, skip Alfheim, just, like, read a plot wiki or something. There's not that much that happens that's honestly that important anyway. And <laughs> just skip the gut game. Like, yeah, Alfheim is just absolutely awful. I mean, even with some of the really ridiculous things that happen in later seasons, that is what I would consider to be the worst arc adapted so far. But the dub is really great, so I guess I would say check out the first 14 episodes, see if it's your thing. Um, if you really want to watch Alfheim, it's okay, but it is definitely the worst of what Sword Art Online has to offer. You know, I shat on the show a lot a decade ago. But overall, uh, good stuff. Good stuff. Okay, uh, Andrew. The year is 2021. At this point, you either decided what your opinion of Sword Art Online is, or you're indifferent. You probably know what your opinion is of SAO. But I feel like there's at least consensus to be made that the dub is really strong, and that the people that are working on it put their all into it and gave a really strong product. I will say, this rewatch has made me realize I don't really hate it as much as I used to. I'm a little more, like, indifferent, and I realize this. SAO can be fun to watch sometimes because it's really fucking stupid. I think it is actually genuinely entertaining sometimes at how dumb it is. It can also be genuinely really cool and fun. It's got some good characters. It can also be fucking terrible. But that's the thing about Sword Art Online. It is extremely inconsistent, and you never know what you're gonna get. If you decide to stick with SAO, you are in for a roller coaster. You have no idea what you're going to be in for. Mother's Rosario and Alfheim existing in the same fucking franchise says so much to me. Because they are vastly different quality. But this was a very enlightening rewatch. I've watched this show like four fucking times. Fuck Christ. There are shows I like more than I've seen less. I need to fix that. Christ. We did this for you, subscribers. 5,000 subs! Fuck yeah! Love you, fucks! Okay. Uh, Megan. I think my stance has also softened up on this show over the years, where I thought this was absolutely terrible when it first came out, and now I'm just like, eh, this exists. Alfheim is rank. Alfheim is awful. But, like, I hate to say this, there are anime that are way worse out there than this. Granted, like, I may have watched Nakaimo. I'm not a good person. I fucking hate you for making me rewatch Nakaimo. Thank you for the six years and 5k subs. Wait, wait, wait. Rewatch? I watched Nakaimo when it first came out in 2013, Roots. Why do you think Megan decided to make us suffer for Valentine's Day? Because I instantly knew what the fuck that was. I wanted was. to see her squirm because I'm a bad person. Um, but like, genuinely, I, I don't think the show is that bad. I honestly thought SAO, the Aincrad stuff, was bad. Wish it was longer so shit got flushed out. But 
hey, I guess that's what progressives for if I really want to fucking do that. I think it's really good. Okay, I don't think the show is like fantastic, but the dub is really good and the dub is a lot of fun. So if you are going to watch the show, uh, you might as well just watch it in English. I'm not going to advocate in a bridge series is ever better than the original series. That being said, I highly recommend something witty entertainment sort of online of bridge. You are in for a very fun time and you're going to get some real, real shit, all right? Uh, Steph. My thoughts on the show have also softened in the span of almost a goddamn decade. There are still parts of the show that are not that well thought out and well written. Again, like, Aincrad was incredibly rushed. The romance between Kirito and Asuna did kind of spark out of left field a little bit. But the dub itself is actually really, really solid. I enjoyed the casting. I enjoyed the performances. It took the really janky writing and actually made it much more tolerable. And it ended up turning into a labor of love. Shit tons of Sword Art Online bloopers exist for a reason. Like, if that's not a labor of love, then I don't know what is. When they're willing to make fun of themselves, it's great. But um, given the time period that it is, it did push a few more actors more into the spotlight. This and Attack on Titan just instantly blew up Bryce Pappenbrook's career. Like, Jeremy was suddenly becoming a heavy hitter in the LA area as well. And, like, you start seeing more actors like your Xanthi Quins, you see your Saren Williams, you see Marin Millers. You see quite a few actors that are still coming up at that time getting a bit more of a push because of Sword Art. So, Sword Art as a show is not great. It's also 100% not trash either. So, I would 100% say watch Aincrad before you fully commit to the whole shebang. But, no yeah, the dub is actually really solid and I think it does still hold up pretty well for the most part today, so. Okay, so, uh, echoing the sentiment my stance on the show has also softened surprisingly, which feels kind of weird considering I was, like, pretty vocally angry about this show when it first came out. I think we've all just softened with time. Okay, everybody's had that moment where they got really fucking pissed at Sword Art Online. I made my piece of the fact that SAO at this point is a mainstream property, like, it's kind of weird that it is, but it's a mainstream property now. It is probably part of the new anime starter pack. Yeah. But yeah, my sense is softened slightly, and I honestly got a lot more out of the Aincrad stuff than I was expecting. It's not amazing, but it's definitely got some good parts, and I feel like a tighter version of that could have been a really interesting story, so I might check out the progressive movies. Uh, i on the other hand, you can just throw that in the trash. There is absolutely nothing redeemable about it. It is awful. Kill it with fire. Yeah, but what is not awful is the dub, because the dub is frankly pretty fantastic. Like again, aside from a couple of nitpicks, it is pretty well casted. The direction is really strong. There's some really good dramatic performances in spite of some occasionally shifting material, and the dub script is really good. Like, all across the board is a really solid production. Alex Von David really knows what he's doing, and the rest of the cast themselves did a really great job. It's a really solidly well put together dub, and and I mean, I guess if you're like on the fence about checking out the show and, and you're looking for a way to get into it, I would very much recommend the dub. You'll probably have a better time with it. So that wraps up for us here. Uh, if you want to follow anything else that we do, we are the Dub Talk Podcast. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, uh, Tumblr is dead. Uh, where else are we on? Twitch. We has Twitch. Yeah, uh, we has Twitch. 
Uh, we also have a Kofi where you can do one-time donations if you want to support us that way. We also have a Patreon, and before we leave, I'd like to do a quick shout-out to some of our patrons. Uh, for our $5 tier patrons, we have Megan's Mom and Dad, Miss L. Travis, Rockless Corazon, Nika Robin, but with Yowie Hands, Susie Tweet, and Victor Myrona. And for our $10 patrons, we have Carla Cow, Crimson Akinda, Jacob Wilson, J2, aka Jared, Julia W, Marissa Lenti, and Otaku Anthony. And thanks for all your support, guys. Uh, we really could have gotten this far without you. And again, thanks for helping us reach 5K. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. You guys are awesome. Seriously, Thank you. Fucking love you, fuck. Jet, one question before we sign off. If people are very morbidly curious to watch Sword Art Online, where can they? Pretty much on almost every major legal streaming anime service now. It's on Crunchyroll, it's on Funimation, it's on Hulu, it's on Netflix. Just, like, flip the coin, you'll find it somewhere. Remember Crackle, kids? I think Sword Art Online is still on Crackle. So, uh, very quick, plug yourselves. Uh, I'm Queenera2, you can follow me at Twitter at Queenera2. Also, please support my brand new Kickstarter for the Einkrad-shaped butt plug. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. My name is Patrick, a.k.a. Roots of Justice. You can find me on the Twitter.com, at Roots of Justice. Uh, mainly retweet cute animal pics, dark general fandom. It's a fun time. You should come see me. I'm also working on on a solo side project. It's going to be a little while, because it involves things I've never actually done before, and I'm still trying to learn how to do. So, stand by. Hello. My name is Stephanie. Some people sometimes occasionally call me Lilac. You can follow me on Twitter at Lilac Anime Review, with the review being spelt R-E-V-U-E. I have a blog, lifeandtimesotaku.wordpress.com. I'm almost done writing about my anime kids. I have to rewatch one goddamn show so I can write up a thing for one child. Sometimes Andrew calls her mommy. <laughs> And we just went silent. Uh, speaking of the child. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking hate all of you stupid motherfuckers out there. Hi, my name's Andrew, a.k.a. Classy Sparta. You can find me over on Twitter at Mangaman9000. You might know me as a uh, moderator on the Funimation Discord, and you might also know me for my other podcast gig, Podcast ONA, alongside fellow Dub Talk co-host, Jet! Introduce yourself! Okay, uh, real quick, I'm Jet, you can find me on the Twitters, and if I make it, I'll usually be talking about cartoons, or anime, or politics, or some other stuff. Uh, you can also occasionally find me on my blog, Animation Infinity, where I will sometimes write things if I feel like it. Uh, you can also hear me on another podcast, Podcast ONA, where we will usually be talking about anime news. So, with that, we are basically done here. Woo! Again, uh, thanks for helping us reach 5k subscribers, and, uh... Hell yeah! Congratulations, Shinji! Congratulations. 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 Yeah, and uh, thank you guys for actually doing this one with me. Oh, you're welcome. Oh, hey, no big thing. Anytime, bro. We had a blood pact after all. I still don't remember how I got involved in the blood pact, but you know, I'm just here. Okay, yeah, three of you had a blood pact. Lilac is just here. Steph brought the van. Yes, I brought the minivan. Look, yes. she came along with me because we live, we live together now. We went for an entire episode without saying that, but what, whatever. You put it on your Twitters, you dumb shit. 
look. Point is, Steph's here. She drove the van. She's ready to turn this fucking bus around. Can we go now? Yes, you can go so Andrew can use his Einkrad. Okay, uh, so uh, we're signing out, and until next time, we'll talk about my friends. Have a good night. We talked about SAO on the internet. We're very original. All right, and now to turn on the nerve gear and log into the world of big mother truckers. Damn it. Good night. Bye, good night. Thank you for 5,000. Otaku on the Daba. Hikateru <laughs>